Welcome to this episode of Let's Chat. I'm your host, Chris Revel, coming at you from the Cat Cave in Providence, Rhode Island. Today's episode with Andy was actually recorded on location in his house. Andy was nice enough to, A, come on the show and let me in and set up my equipment and uh, talk his ear off for a couple hours. No, uh, super fun episode. It was so much fun to record. Uh, it's This has happened more than once, but there's just something about recording with someone and it's really nice when you're you're not paying attention to your cell phone you're not paying attention to anything else which is hard for me because i get distracted very easily and just engaged in good conversation and we recorded it and so if you're listening to this if you're just a fan of the show thank you so much for sticking around uh very good episode trust me now if you're someone who's listening to this because it's andy totally understand andy's a cat that you probably know from a lot of different things i bet Everyone who's listening, if you're listening to this because uh, Andy is someone you know or is a friend of yours, you might know him from so many different circles. Uh, I knew him from back in the day as the lead singer of The Flaming Tsunamis. We do talk a lot about The Flaming Tsunamis. I knew Andy uh, a long time ago and was just always kept in touch uh, a little bit. Super nice guy. Now, you also might have met him out on one of his bazillion tours. Uh, I guess most frequently with the 10 Billion Lives uh, North American tour that he's done as tour operator. We talk about that. And we also talk about his clothing company, Compassion Co. And if you're anyone who's as old as him and I, no offense, Andy, you might remember him from the old Killed No More Records Day in the Connecticut punk scene. We talk about that as well. And we talk about all just different stuff. Uh, Andy was just a fucking awesome dude. Really is. I, I just... Really nice guy, so smart, and I have to give him a lot of credit. He would be, I even say he's a better host than I am, because he kept this episode on track and kept bringing back points that were super important that I kept running away from just because I get excited and talk about other things. Um, So, man, where to start? Uh, Well, one reason we're releasing this is if uh, things line up perfectly, the Flaming Tsunamis should have the new album out. And you could check them out on the theflamingtsunamis.bandcamp.com or their Facebook page, facebook.com slash theflamingtsunamis. And uh, now, Andy uh, really taught me a lot about the 10 Billion Lives Tour. Um, I personally am not a vegan or a vegetarian, but I really loved this conversation and I've definitely started to think differently at the very least after leaving this conversation i know i've been working on eating less meat and increasing my vegetable intake uh, environmental impact and for animal rights uh but really uh this is a free show and totally understandable i'm never going to charge anyone for it if you ever wanted to figure how can i somehow support this show financially please go to 10 billion tour so it's spelled uh 10 like the number one zero billion tour.org and donate a couple bucks to them. Uh, Andy explains what they do, and it's wonderful. They go around the country, and they basically they pay you a dollar to watch a video, and then they have information, and, and it's it's a really... I love their approach. I love... Uh, I just, just listened to the whole episode. You got to hear the part about animal rights, and really it was just kind of mind-blowing. I really... I really liked Andy, because I guess there's that stereotype of vegans of being self-righteous, and People can get really turned off by that. And from Andy and the 10 Billion Lives tour, just that's not the case. I mean, these are just people who just want to talk to you and give you information, and then you can do as you want. But, man, um, 
it's a great. So please, please, please uh, stick around. Please uh, check out his wonderful clothing company, Compassion Co. Uh, you can go to uh, Compassion Company. You can go to CompassionCo.com. And Andy is also really great on the Instagram. Uh, I'm going to link all this, obviously, in the details. But you can follow him at Expanded Circle or at uh, follow the Compassion Company on Instagram, which is a really good um, Insta account as well, CompassionCo.com. Uh, Andy, again, thanks for coming on. I want to have him back because I really feel that we could have spent an hour on any one of these topics. And I feel like for someone like Andy who's just done so much, we got to really dive into all of them. And I, I just I feel like if you listen to this entire episode, you're going to walk away and be like, huh, I definitely learned some stuff. And I'm going to go buy a cool t-shirt from CompassionCo.com like I am because even if you're a non-vegan, vegetarian such as myself – the shirts just look really cool, and they support a good cause. Uh, the one I want to buy, it's like a picture of an ape, and it's this plant eater that I'm looking at right now. It's really cool. So if you also are listening to this and are like, oh, I'd love to come on and help spread the word of what I do, love to have you. Contact us on Twitter at Let's Chat Podcast, or you can email us at um, – you can email us at let's chat podcast at gmail.com and we have Facebook, facebook.com slash us, let us chat. Andy, uh, this is a wonderful, this is a wonderful episode, Andy. And, uh, please explore all of those links and let us know what you think. And here's your episode. The opposite of a winner Remember when I used to eat sardines for dinner Peace to Ron G, Brucey B, Kid Debris Funk, Master Flex, Love, Funk, Star, Ski Yeah, so, uh Folly, man. So we both saw... <laughs> so that show, Disabled American Veterans, you're talking about the Polish Knights Club. And I remember that was the first... Because there was, there was like the group of us that would all kind of go and see them and like really support them from the beginning. And then I guess it was at the Polish Knights where it was the first time that they played like a hardcore show in Connecticut. I know exactly. I talk right? about that show. And there's that day. moment when... Everyone's like going wild, and then all of a sudden, their first like ska part comes on, and everyone that like knows them is like skanking for it. And you can just hear all the hardcore kids like laugh, like above the music, because they did not know that was coming. No. And it was just like <laughs> that's such an appropriate reaction, though, because ska and hardcore. Um, so I know a lot more about you than you probably think I remember. So sorry if I creep you out. That's but you're, fine. Uh, you remember the Kill Normal? Oh, obviously, the Kill Normal comp. You're part of that wonderful fucking record label. Uh-huh. We still talk about that, like me and like my friends from home when we get really? together. But there was a band on there from Pennsylvania, and they had a, PFP. Is that it? Lots of, a lot of letters. Yeah, and they were like the first hardcore band with ska. They or, well, they or trumpets, had, right? They had a saxophone. They recorded it really weird. They were a band that I found, and I was like, it was pre MySpace and all that, so you had to find like the band's email. And I just, like, emailed them, and I was like, oh, my God, like, you're amazing. I need to play with you. And their singer just sent me this, like, giant box of, like, a 1,000 of these, like, three CDs. I still have a ton at my parents' house. <laughs> I could probably dig one up for you. And it was, like, all these, like, promo CDs that they put together. And they used to sound like, do you remember Kicked in the Head? Oh, my God. Remember when they tipped their van after that Derm show? I don't remember that, actually. It was a folly but... show with Infamous Jake. It was, um... Oh, shit. I... Jump slash got pushed through the drums of that show. All right. And I don't think anyone cared. Yeah. I'm folly set because Anthony told me to. 
So yeah, well, mad. so so thirteen PFP had like a, a full like ten song something or other. Yeah, and I like had to track that down and order it from them. Oh and that God. one, I was like, oh, this sounds a lot like kicked in the head kind of used to sound. Oh man! And then they transitioned to what was on the Kill Normal compilation, which yeah. was just this like weird metallic hardcore with like this saxophone kind of floating yeah. in the background. And we we uh, played a show with uh, Terror in Florida and <laughs> CDC Cool Dudes Chilling were opening and they were from Pennsylvania. And so we played and they're like, you know that band 13 PFP? We used to go see them like all the time. They were the coolest band ever. So it's just like these like random, like I had never heard anybody else ever like wow. them, but we found them and we were just like, they need to be like on our thing. You must have so many of those moments from like being all over the country. But so, so like, yeah, I always like to start. We met because we used to go to the same uh, punk shows in the central Connecticut region. By the time I met, like, it was you, I'm thinking Ethan, Mark. Mm-hmm. You guys had seemed to be into it a lot longer before I was. Like, what was the scene in like the Madison Guilford area? Was there like a scene? The, I mean, we kind of were the scene. Yeah. Um, oh, Bill and Greg. Bill and Greg. Crystal and Selena and Alicia went to like youth group with them, and that's how we heard of TFT. Okay. That wasn't Pilgrim Fellowship, was it? No. It, it was, might be. That Some was like a youth group that I, I used to be a part of. English that, like, people? The Ridleys? Man, I, I went with them a couple of times and I was like, oh, I'm not really into the yeah, kind of thing, but you guys are nice. Yeah, no, I don't. I remember it was just like a thing that a lot of my friends in, in school did. And it was like, it was at a church, but it wasn't really religious. And yeah, it was really cool. You know, we'd do the usual like go to Florida and like help build some houses and yeah. like stuff like that. But it was mostly just like getting together. And, and like, your doing... family was like the good gods, is how I like to call those people, like the, the good version of. The religious aspects. The way you would hope religious yeah. people would be, I guess. Because <laughs> like, I remember even meeting all you guys. Like, it was you, Ethan, and Mark. And I'm missing somebody, aren't I? And Kill Normal. It was you, Ethan? And uh, I mean, Dan. Dan. And then and Matt, the drummer from Infamous Jake, to some extent, was yeah. also. But he wasn't like down in Connecticut going to show. You guys were just like really young and really, really driven. At, like, and we're all, I'm, we're, I think we're all the same age. How old are you? I'm 30. Okay, yeah, I'm 30 uh, now as well. And I was like, wow, these guys are like doing stuff i was like i thought we were so cool like we went to a show and you guys like, well, we're booking the show and we're going on a tour and we're doing like huh? we're pressing records it's great it was the first time i ever got introduced to the diy ethics and uh which i definitely want to come up with like even the first time i ever learned about animal rights veganism vegetarian um same-sex marriage uh, marriage equality like so many countercultural ideas i've learned from just going to punk shows and talking to dudes yeah. who are older than us but you guys i was like I was always blown away by all you guys because you were so driven, and now you're still at it. And I mean, Mark is. Yeah, I mean, Mark has Mark has done it, and Mark. I mean, Mark started because he we be he we went to Guilford High School together, yeah. and so he was like friend of friends. And then me and Mark had this like we always refer to it as like our infamous fourth period lunch was like the yeah. time that we like became like best friends. That's so cool. And we brought him to just like every show, and he would. Uh, sometimes help us load in, sometimes just go like start talking to people, yeah. and then he started booking his own shows. And obviously, now oh, he's so good. <laughs> he put Connecticut, on, which is such an odd thing, I think, from when you talk as anyone from like the Midwest, because they would be like, "Oh, you're in Connecticut, like everything should be right there." I'm like, in theory, yes, but we got passed over for every tour. Warp Tour never came here. Nothing. Uh, our old radio station, one six nine, had to fight to get Ozfest to come here, which yeah. sold out every time. Like. Concerts were not coming. We were such a Passover state. 
Yeah, and, we're I guess we're not considered a major market. And so there's so many bands that like sell out like 500 capacity venue plus whatever in like New York and Boston and then they come play Connecticut and only like 120 people come out yeah. for who knows what reason. And so Mark's the one that's like grabbing those bands. Oh. And Everybody. then you hear people complaining about the shows, and you're like, they wouldn't be here at all if it wasn't for Mark. Mark didn't book it. And it's even weird. Like my dad will mention a concert that my, my mom will go to or, or want to talk about. It's like, and it'll be like, and it's not a punk band. It'll be like, I don't, I can't think of anything off. Like maybe like Lucinda Williams or the guy from Talking Heads or something. I was like, really? My that's awesome. My parents uh, the other like couple weeks ago, they're like, oh, we went to this show at the Outer Space. It was like those Darlings or something. And they're like, yeah, Mark was there. He came up. He said hi. Mark, Mark actually, um, he needed a place to stay for a little bit, and he like lived with my parents. I wasn't, I, I wasn't even that. living. I was in college, and he was living with my parents. Oh, that's so sweet. And they would talk, you know, because he just got married, so we were just kind of reminiscing. Oh, and they'd be like, yeah, we'd make dinner, and he'd come down, and we would ask him one question, and he would just like talk for like an hour straight, and yeah. we're just like... All right. <laughs> Such a nice dude. And he, it was cool to see, like, you you and Mark and all those guys, like, fester the nice relationships. And I had to credit a lot of, like, great bands I saw because of the bands, like, uh, Tree Fort that you guys would bring up. Like, bands that maybe would... And it's not the band's fault for not wanting to play Wong for Connecticut. Why would they... Or wherever. Yeah. It's, you know, I've never done the band thing, but, like, I would imagine it's, like, hard as shit to tour. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny, again, to make myself really old, when we first started touring you had like a GeoCities website. You didn't oh have my MySpace, like mp3.com and pure volume weren't really things yet. So it was like you had to sort of, you know, you'd find out either through compilations or you'd just be like searching on message boards trying to find oh bands that sounded similar and you'd send them an email. And then when we, when we were like really hitting it hard, that's when, you know, MySpace was a thing. And so we'd send out just like bulletin after bulletin. Oh, yeah. And then be like, we have all these dates. Where do you, if you live anywhere in like a five hour radius and want to book us of this day, like let us know. And that worked for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think um, to our advantage, we had a unique enough thing going yeah. for us that the people that are into that sought us out. And that also yeah. made it so it was sustainable on the road because maybe we only bring out like 40 people, yeah. but all four of those people are really stoked on it and they're probably going to buy a shirt or something. Mm. And that's like how we got by for years. Oh, yeah. And like, like Folly, too. Like that's, I know in Connecticut, they just kept coming back and playing shows in front of nobody. And you, you, you and Folly had played shows together. I've known more. Than, I've been to a bunch of those. I went to one of the TFT last shows, which was at least like 15 years ago, and it was not the last. <laughs> yeah. Was, you were, at one point, were you the tour manager slash like hype kind of guy? Like you weren't the singer for a while. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of someone working their way up through the ranks of a band, yeah. I have a real like from the mailroom to like the CEO yeah. story. Um, yeah. When the band started, it, it's like... Bill um, and Greg were sort of the two main like yeah. other friends of mine that would go to like the punk shows and stuff with me, and I was at this like summer camp and and then like Bill called me and was like, "We're starting a band. You need to be the singer." And I was like, "I can't sing. I have no musical talent. I used to play like saxophone in high school band, but yeah. I quit in like fourth grade." And I was like, I'm, "I'll hang around, but I can't actually sing." Yeah. So I was like the guy that was at every practice, like yeah. more so than even some of the other band members. <laughs> and I was the one that was like making sure merch was happening, booking the shows. Yeah. So yeah, I guess unofficially you would say it was like a band manager, tour manager on a very small level. And the thing that I did was Hector the Skanking Cow 
like yeah. a deep dark part of my past where I wore a cow yeah. suit and I had an intro song and I did this like horrible rap that was like oh, a takeoff like, on yeah. Vanilla Ice. And then we also did a Big D cover and I would do oh, the vocals on that. And okay. that's like how I started in the band. Was there ever that projection that you were going to be the singer and this band's going to continue or you're just like, I'm here, let's play. It, it was, I mean, honestly, it was just like, oh, these, these people are nice enough to let me cling on to their thing that they're doing. And then um, we always had like a pretty solid guitar, drums, bass like people, but um, the horn section was just like, we had like, like probably six or seven people that played horns and we'd hope that two or three would show up. And then we had this one show where we were only going to have one. And I was like, well, I still have my alto saxophone. I can learn these. So from then on, I just started playing saxophone with the band. And then while we were recording Zombies vs. Robots, Bill, who was basically the singer at that point, is kind of between him and Greg doing vocals. He quit after he had recorded most of his vocals. Yeah. So I was like, well, I guess I, I guess I can do this. So I re-recorded most of his vocals. We left him on one song just mm-hmm. to be like, you know, you spent like so long with the band. Let's leave you on this one thing. And then from then on out, I was like and that's front kind of guy. Flame and Tsunamis like took off. You guys like did it. Like you were the legit uh, the DIY band. I remember I was getting my first tattoo in Vermont and I was talking to the guy for a while and somehow it comes up that he was from Western Mass and he started talking about like punk and ska. He turned out he was in the band Inner City Ninjas. Oh, Do you remember that? Really? I don't yeah, I can yeah. tell you his name. It was like uh, Fat Matt and Jacob. Yeah. I remember those guys. It was in Bradbury, Vermont and then he started talking about Flame and Tsunami. He's like yeah, in the band, you guys were still banned at that time too. When I got, it was like maybe oh four. I'm bad with numbers. Yeah, and I was like, oh yeah, and like I don't, I've never seen your band so many times. You were on every show or hanging out at every single show ever. I, yeah, I was, I was definitely one of those like people that was at like every show. And... It was like our, that was like our parties. Like I didn't go to like parties, and I didn't like go to college to, like frat houses. It was like yeah. shows. And sadly, in Connecticut, the scene turned into a little bit more meatheady, and then it it did kind of veer away where you can avoid that. And then I got older and things happened and stopped going. But Yeah, punk rock retirement. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Like, there's a certain point, like, I forgot the last time I went to see something in, like, a hall. I was like, oh, yeah. I want chairs. I want to be comfortable. I just, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> uh, I just went to the mineral show that happened at the church. Oh, and man. I went because Into It Over was opening and, yeah. and their friends. Um, but it's just... I was like, oh, this is nice. There's like padded seating because it's all pews and stuff. I was like, yeah. I feel real old saying that, but it was very nice to just be able to yeah. sit down and like listen to the band. I can't get hurt anymore. Like my health insurance isn't so wonderful. You <laughs> always used to do your little yeah. forward roll, the classic. That was, what, I don't know what was wrong with me. I have no idea. Because it was always like this like kind of like quiet, polite kid in, in high school. Yeah. And then go to a show and like be bad like i didn't really do drugs i didn't i still don't even really drink yeah i'm uh, single so i was like let's jump into things and be fucking nuts i mean i was the same way and actually something that really resonated with me when i was listening to john from folly's interview was he was talking about how people from work would be like they would go to see him and they'd be like oh my god like that's yeah. you and i have the same thing as like very mild-mannered like yeah. relatively polite i think person yeah and then, like, you go to shows, and it's just, like, all bets are off. And it's, like, a totally totally a yeah. different thing. And people that didn't know you from shows were, like, really scared. Really? Yeah. That was you? <laughs> yeah, and TFT never had a bad rap. You guys always had a good rap of nice dudes. Like, there was never, like, any shit talking. I remember one time, maybe someone said something slightly negative about your band. Like, five kids would jump, like, you shut the fuck up. They work their <laughs> ass off. You don't have to like their music, but they are nice, hardworking people. 
I was like, oh, all right. You guys always had that rap. <laughs> yeah. Which is awesome. And you got to see the whole fucking country. Yeah, I'm sure we had have some people that would say You've had so many but... rotating members. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that I, I remember, you know, we always kind of went into shows with this mentality, or at least I did, where it was like, you know, I, if, even if you don't like us, I want them to at least respect that we're putting on a really good show. Oh, and your shows that, are like, so fun. You know, that we have like that good work ethic and... You know that at least that comes through. So there's something that am I remembering it wrong? But I have this photo. I think on one of my old laptops. It's like probably like John Greco, like uh, crowd surfing, and there's like a wall of death. But instead of a wall of death, everyone's holding like pool noodles. Is that real, or did I make that up? Yeah, no, no. no. That we did that. Um, I think we did something like that great. twice. Well, actually, a couple times. But the very first time we played a show at New Canaan, um, like Teen Center or something. And uh, it was like the end of summer, I think. So pool noodles were on sale. <laughs> so we got like basically as many as possible. It was, I mean, I guess it probably couldn't have been more than 50 or something. But yeah. we, we, you know, put plastic or like garbage bags on either end. And we had like two giant garbage bags, you know, things filled with them. And so we split the crowd up into Wall of Death. And then we handed out all these pool noodles. And like the video, it just looks like this like spider's nest of pool oh, noodles. And everyone's so going fun. at it. And then uh, we played the Big Orange Bonanza, so this thing in New York, and we split the crowd up amongst zombies and robots this time, but we also had signs that were like, you know, so it looked like a protest on either side, along with the pool noodles and like the fake weapons, Um, and that was just like... That was like the best. Like, we need to do this in Connecticut, because Connecticut will do it right, and in Connecticut... We did a show that was like Jurassic Park themed, so we we decorated the inside of the Legion to look kind of like a jungle. By the time we played, it was all torn down and sweaty anyway. But um, like so, like while we were setting up, we had this like soundtrack of like a the thunderstorm because like the rain's coming, you know. And we had like a little strobe that would flash every now and then, and all the sound clips we used between songs were from Jurassic Park. (laughs) And then for the last song, we did the Wall of Death, split it up, but we did God versus Dinosaurs, because that's kind of like <laughs> yeah. a rough theme of Jurassic Park. Oh, God. And so <laughs> so I think some of the best pictures are are of like these like protest signs. I forget what they said, you know, that's but they're like either so pro-God or pro-dinosaur, and they have all these like pool noodles in this tiny hall that has like 112 capacity with like 400 people inside. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. How did people react to TFT like in different states? Like and you did some pretty unique tours like you I mean i don't i mean i from uh, trying to book folly and having a friend of mine who was still trying to get them to do a show i don't know how they ever did anything and, and when i talked to john i kind of still got that sense from him he's like yeah i'm not really sure we just showed up for tour but like, you guys and them would like economically first off sonically and economically would have been like a sold out tour guaranteed like in the right spots the right states yeah like just do the coast and like southwest you guys would have sold out everything I mean, I would, I would have loved to. I don't, I honestly don't even know. Like, we were friends with most of them. I don't really yeah. know what they thought of us. And I know you actually, in the beginning, like, I was going to ask about TFT and I, I forgot told, yeah, to. So I was like, because I, I, I feel like they were, they certainly were a much heavier band before us. And yeah. they influenced us and a lot of people compared us to them. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like there's a, a sort of a kind of a hardcore and kind of a Scottish thing happening, yeah. but we approached it from two totally different angles, yeah. you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, we often, I think we learned pretty quickly that it was best for us to not do tour packages yeah. or at least in terms of like the small DIY, let's get this friend from Connecticut and go do a month tour because yeah. 
the people we were booked by, it was not consistent. It was like uh. this, this, this town is the hardcore kid that happens to like us, and he books us on a hardcore show. Mm. This town is the weirdo, like ska punk kid. This one's this like a kid that generally likes noise, but for some reason he likes us, and he's you know, yeah. So it was kind of like whoever. So we we always. We never fit on a show, but we also always found a way yeah. to fit on the show, you know? So it's kind of like we could we could work within the context of the show, but if we brought a hardcore band, they would be super out of place. Yeah. Um, and we did Call It Arson. We oh, did three yeah. weeks East Coast with them, and it was Ethan's idea at the time. No one else in the band wanted to do it um, <laughs> because we were just like, they're not going to fit. Our fans are going to hate them. Uh, their fans will hate us. And I think that still may have been true, but that's when I was like, oh, Call It Arson's the best band in Connecticut, yeah. and I'm so glad we did a tour with them. But we got booked all the time on like r- randomly weird opening of a tour package in whatever state that happened to be at yeah. the same time. And it'd be like, you know, one time it was like, oh, we're opening for like Catch-22, oh, and man. then same tour we're opening for like Terror and the Warriors, and then and then like next tour we have this one where we're opening for like the Warriors and like X Death Star and all these like Christian like metalcore bands, um, plea for purging stuff like that. Wow. So it's just like, you know, we kind of have like played with everybody. So you got to know everybody then. Some of them, I mean, to an extent, it was interesting to see which bands would like give us respect, and it was yeah. always consistently a few members from every band at every show for the most part. Yeah, and we'd get like shout outs from like the Warriors on stage, and wow. it was just like wow. And it, of course, um, I don't consider us like much of a ska band, but yeah. that f- presence is there. A lot of people oh, kind of yeah. latch onto it, even though like half our songs. Well, ska kids, we have so little. <laughs> so when we can find anything, we'll take it. Yeah. I mean, like I have people that will tell me like, oh, the Flaming Tsunamis are my favorite ska band. And I'm usually thinking like, you must mm. really hate ska. But yeah. like, uh, but I also, I still appreciate it, obviously. Yeah. Like, you know, anyone liking the band is cool. Um, but like there'll always be in all these like big hardcore bands and like the victory records bands and stuff. There's always like two former ska kids on it. So yeah. they'll be the ones that come up to us and they're like, Oh, I used to go see the slackers all the time awesome. and you guys are awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, so we usually got like, I think respect again, because I think we, we put on a good live show. People saw that we like were very like I want to say professional, but you know, professional in the way we presented ourselves yeah. and like we didn't, you know, people could tell that we really liked what we do, and hopefully the sincerity of what we did came across. At least in Connecticut, it always came off as such. You know, one of my favorite shows I've ever been to in later in my seniors was the Flaming Tsunamis Mel Banana Folly show at the, I believe at that time it, was call, it wasn't called Empress anymore. Was it the Heirloom? Yes, okay. Yeah. The, old, the old Empress Ballroom. That, yeah, that, that was like me like flying high on life because... That should have been a... I was like, this would be the best tour in the world. Add like uh, Horse the Band in there. And you would have like a sold out weird kid show every tour. Yeah, it, that I mean to me, Melt Banana is a band that I was oh, just like so good. And, and probably I only found out about them because they did a split with Big D like yeah. back in the day. And the first show I ever went to when I was living in Boston was Big D and Melt Banana. And seeing people have no idea how to react to Melt Banana, That's I was just so like, good. this band's awesome. And then, like, a week after that, we left for, like, our first UK tour. So I was like, life could not get any better oh than, like, God. what's happening right now. We took a group photo, like, a bunch of our friends and some of the Folly dudes. And one of the girls from Mel Banana was walking by. And our friend Bun just grabbed her. He's like, hey, be in this photo. And then we go back, like, that's the singer from Mel Banana. <laughs> <laughs> Holy fucking shit. Oh, uh, man. She's, she's wild. She's yeah, awesome. Amazing. Oh, yeah, you went to the UK. 
Yeah. Um, I, would, I would like dying to ask you about that. That's so, <laughs> A, as a human being, you got to see the, the UK. Yeah. Did you profit from that? Because I've always heard mm. of bands going to Europe and like making money. So I, I think I remember, I'll say that we never had a tour where we lost money. Yeah. Um, which is kind of an amazing feat. And you guys um, had a lot of members. We have usually five or six, but we also usually toured with like a merch person. Sometimes yeah. we had two extra people. Um, I mean, no one in the band ever got paid, ever. And, yeah. but, but the band was sustainable because all the money went into the band. And when we were doing long tours, like when we were actually like relatively full-time touring, yeah. band paid for all the meals and band paid for like your strings and your reeds and nice. like all the little like stuff. Um, so it was like you could be on the road and there was like one three month tour. I was like, I'm not going to spend any of my own money. And I only spent $2 total and wow. it was like a dollar to go see Niagara Falls and a dollar to buy like an iced tea somewhere, you know? So it was wow. like, we could make it sustainable. Tickets to the UK are ridiculously expensive. Tickets. I think we, that... the band bought the tickets okay. and then, um, our merch guy, Jared, uh, or not, he was our merch guy. He was our, our, our screen printer, but he's also a good friend of ours. He's still he screens prints for compassion company. Now he did everything like at cost and we bought his ticket and he brought him as the merch guy. Mm -hmm. So that made it a little bit more affordable. Um, do you have to get a driver? You have to get a driver, you have to get a van, which is actually one of the best parts about touring over there. Cause you have somebody that's like not, hasn't played a show, isn't like sleepy, hasn't been drinking or anything. Um, and then you have a van where if it breaks down, you're not paying for it. Oh. And, um, they're nice. They're like sprinters with like TVs and stuff in them. Oh, so, wow. uh, touring the UK is definitely where it's at. I've done, I've done only two tours over there, but both times it's always Who phenomenal. was the second one with? CFT? No, it was with this band, Fatter Than Albert. I don't oh know yeah, if you I've ever heard that saw band. Them. So they're, yeah, a band from New Orleans that... Were you in the band or? Uh, yeah, I was actually, their singer quit. I forget if he quit or was kicked out, but like they just needed somebody. And I was like, wow. sure, I'll do it. So I actually lived in New Orleans for like four or five months. Oh, that and, must have been amazing. Yeah. So uh, you were doing a tour, was, am I correct, with Sonic Boom 6? Yes. An incredible ska band that I remember seeing in uh, The Empress again. I've maybe been in that venue like four times. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, it was amazing. They yeah. were awesome. So I like I have a cousin. Have you ever heard of the band Red Fang? They're not like you. I have. They're from Portland. I haven't heard them. Though. They're like a metal band. My cousin Aaron is the singer. Um, well, he married my cousin Sarah, so his band hit it big once he was like forty. Uh-huh. And from what I notice is they're always in the UK, always all over the world. Like, yeah. And financially, like that's what you got to do if you're going to be a band. You got to be like an international band, especially metal. Yeah. I think you could do really well in like the, the, all over the fucking world. And like, um, you're listening like Frank Turner. Like he's from England. Um, not a them. huge fan of Frank Turner, no. but I mean, I don't dislike. It just doesn't push the buttons it for me. It's you know? funny because he came to Toad's place and I went there. It was like four years ago. It was amazing. And then he was going to do a tour to open up for Green Day in China. <laughs> so it's just funny how like how do you receive? Also, bring to your band. How are you received in Europe? Because I would imagine you guys did well. Well, so I mean, uh, I th I think we. Again, we like we never like fit on a tour. Yeah. Um, but I was like, Sonic Boom Six is cool because they are like us, a band that uses a ton of different genres. 
Um, so I was like, I think people will get it. And um, we got booked on the tour, actually, because the Pilfers were supposed to be on it. And then they dropped off like a month beforehand. Yeah. Uh, like four or five weeks beforehand. And so um, I had been talking with Sonic Boom 6 just a little bit like, oh, you're cool if you come over. Like, I'll book you some shows yeah. for you. Just like very basic. And uh, Bonnie, their bass player, who does a lot of like the everything for the band, uh, he he was like, do you want to do this? And I was like... Let me see if everyone has passports, because obviously. <laughs> um, so we got booked, and we just got the opening band was this band called Grown at Home, and they sounded kind of like a Big D type mm. Scott punk band. And so we were like, you know, right in the middle between them and Sonic Boom Six. And uh, but I was like, I think I think it'll go well. And um, it was hard to tell a lot of the nights if it was people that didn't like it or if they were just kind of like taking it in, um, but. Some of the shows were like amazing, um, but I think uh, that's when I learned that the divide between audiences that like melodic song vocals yeah. versus screaming vocals that's like a bigger divide than genre stuff because I think a lot of people huh. not so much into that. We had a lot of fun doing it, and um, like the two best shows of that tour, one of them was every Monday, it was like three week tour, every Monday was an off day, but we're like, we need to maximize our time here. And this one, this one guy, um, his name is Booty. He, uh, he, he, he was like, "Oh, let me book a show for you at this like tiny, tiny little bar." We're like, sure, why not? And uh, he, he booked it, and it was like, you know, we'd been playing to like two or three hundred people a night, and he booked it, and it was like, you know, thirty kids. And we're like, all right, well, whatever. And it was like one of the best shows I've ever played. Wow! Like, the, everyone was like super stoked. They like. I've never crowd surfed. I'm a large man. They yeah, picked too. me up and like carried me around the room. Wow. They do this thing there where like they do like the human pyramid for whatever reason. <laughs> and it was just like it, it, they, they went wild. And but during the whole tour, we made all these like friends. Yeah. And then the final show was London. Oh, my God. And so London and England, like the UK is a very small spot. Like, yeah. you're, you know, you're not going to drive more than like four hours to go from one end to the other. That's so strange. So, um, so the final night was like all these friends from all these other shows like came out and it was like a Connecticut show. Like, and we'd been playing to people that were like, you know, like, you know, we'd sell some merch afterwards and people liked it. And this was like afterward, like people stage diving, like everyone going absolutely wild. There was nothing like that the rest of the tour. Oh. And for some reason it was just like the most insane thing. So that like almost made, and we sold like every piece of merch we had left. Whereas wow. and we were just like, where did this come from? So is it weird being like a kid from Connecticut talking to like your buddy Mark in fourth period or whatever. And now you're like, I hate that term, but like for that night you were a fucking rock star in London, <laughs> England for some reason. Like, and you can never, I, I love like music gets to give people these moments that you may, you know, we go back to our normal boring lives. Yeah, it's it, it's it's truly bizarre, and I remember the. Um, I, I certainly would not use the term rock star as well, but yeah, yeah for lack yeah. of a better term, it's just, um, you don't know what to say because, like, especially the music scene we were so into is anti the eighties dr sex drugs and yeah. it was like uh, straight edge or not myself and like activism and like community and all that stuff, which is something you embody. Which yeah, I have notes, but these are just more of like to make sure I don't miss certain things. Yeah, yeah. I, how do people know to? You must get recognized at some point in your life through all your because you still tour and stuff. What do people know you as now? Because like you must have like you have a foot in so many different little worlds. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, I uh, I get noticed occasionally for the tsunamis, but that's only when I'm in a context where someone might recognize it. Yeah, and like even even now, if I go to a show in Connecticut that's like vaguely ska punk related, yeah, you know, I went and saw like We Are the Union at the Space like oh, what, really a year good. or two ago, and um, wasn't that one of the tsunami dudes? Uh, that oh, that's another story. Um, they, our sax player, after we kicked him out, went to that band okay. and they subsequently kicked him out. Um, but I, yeah, <laughs> when I went to see him, he was not, he was no longer in the yeah. band. Uh, I think their new record is like amazing. I think everyone should listen to it, I'll have to check that but out. I, I went there and like, I was just like walking around the parking lot and like three like young people came up and like, Oh my God, you're the tsunamis. Aww. And I'm just kind of like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't deal well with things like that. So it's kind of like cool you know thank you and it's just like i liked going to hardcore shows because like no one knows who i am yeah. or at least if they do they're not gonna like fan fanboy it up yeah. on me or something but yeah i mean in like the activist circles that i run in you know i'm still kind of relatively new to that even though i have tons of friends in it yeah but i'm not you know there's so many other way more prolific people so yeah. it's like you know i have friends but no one's like oh my god you're i, I know you from doing this or whatever um, which is kind of nice. I, I like. You're that. never chasing celebrity in any of these avenues. Yeah, no that that's that is like always really like weird to me. You know, it's like it's it's nice and flattering for people to be a fan of your work, but yeah. there's also something really, um, I don't know. I don't want to say off putting, but there's just something about it that when yeah. it happens, if someone does recognize you, you know, you're like, you know, oh, that's cool, you know, but but. You know, and it's weird because it's like you obviously want your band yeah. to do well. You want people to like it. It's you want to be able to go play a show in like, you know, Missouri and have fifty to one hundred people come out so you can continue to do it. But it's it's weird to have that. Like you know, sometimes people ask for like an autograph after a show, and it's like I'll, I'll do it, but it also seems weird. Like who the fuck am I? Like yeah. I'm gonna go home and work at like Subway after this yeah. is done. So <laughs> I think we're always trying to like fight with our own ego like yeah. you don't ever want to admit to yourself it's bigger than you think it is yeah but i feel like so many people even like before we start we we're talking like a lot about podcasts like it's funny when you listen to like a name and you build that personality into like an actor or something and then you hear them talk about the exact same thing you would feel like yeah like uh like i think was it zach alfanakis i know that you made it we repeat holmes talking about like he can look at a movie poster that he's in and be like, I wonder if that's a good movie. Like he can be <laughs> so detached from like the work he's in. Yeah. I wonder if that's healthy or that's unhealthy. Cause there's a part of it. It's like, I have been like working on this whole thing of like self love, like love what you do and all this. But then there's also a part like you can't let work take over your life. So like, yeah, I mean, that's just the modern life. It's just the balance. Yeah. It always yeah. kind of strikes me as odd. Yeah. I think, um, I don't know. It's hard to find that balance. Yeah. And, and for me, it's like, you know, if I'm involved in something, I'm like throwing myself to 110%. Yeah. And that's always the way I was, you know, with the band. Like, I was like, all right. Like, you know, even like I said, before I was even really performing with the band, I was like booking shows and doing yeah. this and flying everything. So you're kind uh, of like the business end kind of guy that fell into it in a weird way. Yeah. And I don't even, I guess I enjoy it, but it's almost like it just needs to be done. So mm. sort of bring it way back to what we started talking about in the beginning of this whole conversation when you're like, you all were very young and you were just like yeah. really doing it. Um, it was just cause it was just like, well, w we have to do this if we want to have some kind of yeah. scene. Cause the tsunami started in a really weird spot in like Connecticut sort of 
ska punk history like because the ska punk scene was kind of like where we fit in at least initially yeah um but it was like right as the end of the whole third wave died so like mm-hmm. you know spring jack had just like oh. broken up and it was like literally like i don't know if you remember these bands but like it was like flip you for real and like yep. five knuckle shuffle yep. and even the five knuckle shuffle was just breaking up too so it was kind of like us and flip you for real were like the only bands yeah. with like horns in connecticut yeah so we at like just for like a you know like a year or something and then like more bands started cropping up um, uh, did you go to the spring hill jack reunion show yes at toads i went to one night and it was incredible i didn't know about them until they broke up like i'm one of those like uh, i didn't know about i really didn't even get into music until like there was a time in my life like the only things i owned were like weird owl records that and i the, mean i was the kid that all my entire filter of pop culture was through weird owl records yeah. or in living color episodes yeah like, <laughs> fire marshal bill oh yeah like, i remember my brother i knew the weird owls cover uh, nirvana parody and my brother like making fun of me because i didn't know smells like teen spirit <laughs> yeah I, I, I was I, like yeah no this is a weird owl song I would, I'm not even talking about hair day. This is like eat it or uh, no. Uh, dare to be stupid. Dare to be and stupid. Like, and what's the food album called? Fat. That's, oh, that's the, the song. song. Yeah, I'm, I'm drawing a blank, but like, I'm like super or eat it. Uh, yeah, it's um. I had a Space Jam soundtrack, and then like No Doubt's Tragic Kingdom. Nice. And then my brother went to college, and then I found. Then I learned classic rock. My dad's like, and my mom were like, my mom likes like pop, and my dad's super into folk. Yeah. So I kind of missed out on classic rock, which I'm more than okay with. I think that shit's way overrated anyway. Yeah, yeah. That's really funny because like I was the same way. Where like I'd hear a song on the radio and be like, this is different is lyrics Weird than Weird Al song. Like, I feel <laughs> like the Simpsons has done that to me too. Yeah. Like I always will like remember be, I share the story a lot, like being in like English class and reading. Um, Oh God! Not Animal Farm, Lord of the Flies, and be like, "Oh, this is a Simpsons episode." <laughs> and like, oh, okay, I see. This. I have this reversed. Yeah. <laughs> so I think comedy was always like a way into my window of like how to view the world. Yeah, I definitely felt that. I've always felt that. Like, yeah. So how did you get into punk rock? Like, I think everyone. I feel like you fall into it, or like an older brother or sister or something. Yeah, I'm not. Well, actually, so I. When we we lived in Vermont, that was like my kindergarten kindergarten through like seventh grade. I moved to Connecticut for like eighth grade. We're in Vermont. Um, Williston, it's like right next to Burlington. Oh, nice. Um, so that's got to give you a different outlook on life off the back because it's Vermont. Yeah, I went to school up there. I really like not Burlington, but like around Rutland area. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Vermont. My sister yeah. still lives there, and oh, cool. Uh, I love to visit. It's beautiful. Um, but in that area, I had no exposure to any kind of no. music and like, I, we didn't have cable. My friend had MTV and whenever yeah. I went over, I was just like, I just want to watch MTV. Yeah. Um, those days. and then we, when we moved to Connecticut, we just by default had MTV. And so I just started like watching everything ever. And then this, um, weird channel, I forget what it was called, popped up and their programming format was, um, every week they had like eight shows and they would like be like this is the punk show and that's where i learned about like rancid and like um you know and then be like this is the hip-hop show and that's where i learned about like Gangstar. yeah and then they're like here's the alternative and so it's and then they'd just be like here's the six videos on the show this week and they would play it for a week yeah and one week spring hill jack was oh, on yeah. that show and so that's why i was like oh this band's really cool i bought their record and then for it was like 97, I think, my sister brought me to go see them for my oh, first show ever. That's amazing. At the Webster Theater. And it was like, and this was in like their prime. So it was just like, you know, Webster's like 1,000 or whatever capacity, 1,200 packed. 
and I didn't, you know, I didn't realize opening bands were a thing. And I was like, <laughs> why is there an opening band for the opening band of the opening band? I didn't realize there's, oh, there's four shows, four bands on a show. Um, so that's like, that was like my introduction to wow. them. But I didn't go, I, so this is kind of embarrassing, but I didn't go to another show for like a year or two. Um, and at the time I was really into like, insane clown posse and like Cottonmouth yeah. Kings and stuff and yeah, it happens it happens yep and I, I went to go see Cottonmouth Kings at the Webster and um, Sergeant Scagnetti was opening for them and were you ever into them at all I don't even know that name okay so they're like you know it's like Spring Hill Jack's like number one and then mm. Sergeant Skag was sort of like the second tier like I don't think they toured all that much but they were like huge in Connecticut um, so we saw them and it was such a weird bill. Like two skinny J's was on it. Oh, God. And, uh, this band shooties groove, which was kind of like this, like rap, like rock band. And, um, so S- Sergeant Skagnetti were like, they were kind of at the time I thought they were like the heaviest band with horns I'd ever heard. I listened to them now and they're very, like very <laughs> wimpy, I guess. But, um, they put on a good light show. They had, they had the, they had their own light show. They had this like fog machine. They had like, they would wear matching outfits and so it was just very theatrical and so from seeing that we then went me and my friend bill who went to every show together they were playing the hanover house oh in meriden in meriden that's way before my time and um so if you haven't been there this was the only show i ever went to there but they were playing and headlining and my dad would drive us to every show and uh you know we're like freshmen in high school i'm pretty sure and he went in to check out the venue to make sure it was cool. And it's this, like, run-down-as-hell biker bar, mm-hmm. like, super sketchy. And for whatever reason, he was like, yeah, this seems fine. And he let us go to the show. And from there, it was just like, you know, you got all the flyers. And yeah. then it was just like, all right, tune in, LNG, like, just going to all the shows. And that's yeah. that was sort of, like, the entryway into, like, local punk scene. Oh, that's, so you were at it way before I found it. I still can't figure out like how my introduction to it. I, I could figure it out. It's not that important. Yeah. But it was, yeah. I feel like I went backwards. Like I think I found Boy Sets Fire through my, fr- or friend, my friend Crystal Riley. Yeah. Remember. And then maybe then, and then I went backwards. But I remember getting to shows and being like super into bands like Smacking Isaiah. Oh, and yeah. then everyone would talk about Rancid. I'm like, oh, I should check out this Rancid band. <laughs> and finding out they're like the largest band in that world. It's like, oops. Yeah. I don't know how I found Big D, but I just latched onto that band so early on. Well, not early on because they must have been at it for a while. When did you? Were you into them? Like the first time I saw them, I think was the Good Luck release show at the Tune In. First time I saw them was that um, that show at Wesland. Okay, with Folly and Smacking Isaiah. So that was like Gypsy Hill is already out. Yeah, I think Good Luck must they, have. Been. They had already been playing a lot of the songs off of How It Goes at that point. Yeah, so. but I think Good Luck was it still was one of my favorite albums. It's definitely and a classic. I think there's no. I heard Dave had throat cancer. Really? And I think he recovered. I don't know. I think they, I think it's inevitable. You can't be a ska punk band and stay ska punk. You always turn reggae, unless you're Streetlight Manifesto, <laughs> who I had seen a few times and every time just destroys. Yeah, it's incredible. And uh, man, those are those are good times. I look back at that like time frame of my life. I was like, yeah, I worked a job, I lived at home, and I went to fucking punk shows. <laughs> it was great. So the TFT, since you guys had so many rotating members, um, I used to hang out with Ryan from Call Arson for uh, uh, a little while, like before I moved. Yeah, he's he's a character. Great, I love him. Yeah, we had like a really weird falling out. Uh, yeah, yeah, not even that interesting of a story at all. But, but yeah, he, he's a character fucking such a talent though yeah. he's like one of those few rare creative people you meet and you're like yep yeah. you have to create art or else you're not gonna be able to do it yeah and i forgot i was going with that 
I had a good point, and I can't you remember. You said anymore. something about like rotating members. Oh, so he, yeah, I remember him telling me that one of your drummers went to the Dirty Projectors, and like, is that accurate? I think it was called Arson's drummer went to the oh, okay. Dirty Projectors. Brian, Did a lot of members Brian McComer, of uh, I think a lot of members of TFT end up in other bands that went on. Honestly, at I some mean, level. so during like the high school years, and then you asked about like the sort of Guilford Madison scene. No, Greg was in Double Think for a long time. Uh, Jeff, our Jeff, drummer, I think he yeah. went to Double Think, but that was he was early, early. early yeah, so crystals. I mean, there's sort of like there's got to be some several different somewhere. kind of eras of yeah. the tsunamis, and there's sort of this like high school era, which is like Instant Event Victories, which is a record most people don't know yeah. and is not like easily downloadable. Um, yeah. ev- everything else, if people want to hear it, like communityrecords.org is a website yeah. that just has all of our records. And you most run community records too. Uh, no, yes. well, so our, our current trombone player, D Ray, along with Greg, who's um, in fact, or they're both in this band now called All People. They were in Fat and Albert together. They run community records. They're putting out our new new record. Um, TFT record? Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> That's amazing. You heard it probably not first at all here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we could talk about how that's been a long time coming. Yeah, but, I think um, I've been reading about that for a while. But uh, so, yeah, so there's like kind of the high school era, and like all those people were not. Like, me and Bill were, like, the showgoers. Like, yeah. we were the ones that, like, had a presence and made friends and were, like, at every show. That's how we got booked on a lot of shows. And we're flyering all the time. Everybody else just sort of, they would come to shows if we booked them at, like, the Arts Barn or something. But they weren't, like, diehard scene people like, yeah. like we kind of were. And so a lot of those people didn't go on to do anything of any note in terms of like scene bands or stuff that It'd people so would know about. It'd be so funny if like it's like a TV show we cut and they're like high powered lawyers. Like, yeah, <laughs> they didn't go on to do anything, and then like they're like working for under Obama administration. Like, yeah, nothing at all. Yeah, I'm I'm sure <laughs> some of them have gone on to do some cool things. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in terms of like oh, listening to some bands, people might know. Um, and really, like most of the people that we've kind of like cycled through haven't done a whole lot with yeah. the exception of a few that have done a ton. So um, D-Ray, who's our trombone player, he's in like a ton of bands and yeah. like tours all the time. And it, he's fantastic. But yeah, his his current like main band is called All People. Mm. And um, they're one of my favorite bands right now. Yeah. They're kind of like... If like, I guess they would describe it as like if Fugazi really liked reggae or something. Oh, that's like, pretty um, cool. like they're really cool. They do some kind of dubby stuff and some like spoken word stuff, and there's kind of some punk in there. But it's just like, it's a very unique, interesting thing. Um, and then our drummer Matt, who's um, he's been with the band for like a long time now, but he after TFT basically disbanded, he went on and toured with Shai Halud for a while. Wow, um, that's right. Yeah. I think I remember hearing that. So, I mean, when you talk about getting to see the world, like yeah. he has really gotten to see the world through yeah. that band, and I'm so jealous of that because you know they're like doing like Japan and just like yeah. all over the place. Um, and then he then he did a little bit with Living Laser, um, who's this amazing hardcore band, and currently he's in Such Gold, and they just put out a new. Oh, record. I like that band a lot. Yeah, oh. I, I had never listened to them until he started posting the tracks. Um, but they have like, it's kind of like if, uh, like Wilhelm scream was a little more straightforward, mm. you know? Um, I love them. yeah. And so I think they're really cool. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. So, so those two guys like do a lot. Um, no one else is really like, like done any other like band stuff. Like, yeah, you know, I, I toured with Fan and Albert for a little bit and then they broke up and yeah. So how did your transition from music to activism come? Um, 
Actually, I've actually had this question I wanted to ask you because I think about you a fair amount because I follow you on the Instagram, mm-hmm. and I, um, I mean, I'm not a vegan or a vegetarian, but I very much support your work and what you guys stand for. And like, I, I watched a video you posted that fucked me up for a while, so I've been my interest is starting to peak. Awesome. Um, I couldn't eat pork for a while after this video. I forgot what it was, but it was about like treatments of pigs. Yeah, it really fucked me up. But like, so why? And I've also listened to like John Feldman of Goldfinger talk about it. Uh-huh. Really interesting. And uh, Sam Simon. Yeah. From The Simpsons, of all things. Yeah. Huge animal activist. Uh, yeah, he's doing big things right now. Right. Yeah. I think he's. I hope he's doing better. When I heard about Marin, he had uh, cancer. He, from what I've read, he's basically has a time limit on his life. And so he's now using his wealth that he's amassed to help, you know, yeah. do as much good as possible. And the thing that recently caught a lot of news was that he just like bought a fur farm so he could like shut it down and then save the mink that were currently Aww. in it. So, you know, not something everyone's able to do, but the fact yeah. that he has the money, it's really cool. Well, he even joked in the, on the Marin podcast. He's like, are we rich? We're not rich again until next week. But yeah, he's taking it because he's still uh, credited on the Simpsons, which is 26 seasons in yeah. as a, a developer, though he hasn't worked for the show. I'd, I won't geek out too much, but I read a Simpsons book and because his his influence on that show so much, Albert Brooks and Matt Groening, consider him part of like the creator yeah. so though he has nothing to do with the show he's still getting uh like royalty checks from it get that money putting all of that money into like animal rights activism yeah but like um you guys uh vegans you get more shit from anybody of any group of people <laughs> and i mean that and not just from like jocks and that stereotypical southerner like meat and blah 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 i mean i'm talking like Obama-loving, Ralph Nader, fucking anti-gun, marriage equality, most progressively liberal people I could even think of yeah. who will just shit on a vegan like you don't even matter. And I've heard this more than once. Like People get personally offended if you choose not to eat meat. Yeah. And it gets tied up into masculinity. Which I have no idea. I, I have no idea. Like so, like I don't know how you combat that or how you deal with it. But much respect to all of you people in your world. Cause <laughs> I, I, it actually like, it bothers me. Like if these are the people that if they heard someone use the word faggot, they would jump down their throat. But mm-hmm. if that person is a homosexual and a vegan, you should be able to get married. But you fucking pussy, how dare you not eat meat? Yeah. Be a man. I'm like, huh? Yeah, well, I mean, you just said so much there. Um, yeah, I do that, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it, yeah, it's really interesting, and um, I guess speaking from experience, because I, you know, I was not, was not born vegan, so, like, basically everyone that's vegan now, I, I know, like, maybe five people that are, like, vegan from birth, you know? Oh, wow. Um, which is, you know... It's going to become an increasingly more uh, Mm. common occurrence now that veganism is becoming so mainstream. But, um, you know, it's like we we all had that point when we were really defensive about it. So, like, everything that I hear people say now, I'm like, yeah, I said that when people are like, I could never give up meat. Even as a vegetarian, some would say I could never – I would be like, I can't give up cheese. Um, And it was just like, you know – I've been there and it's weird because it, you know, our food is both this intensely personal thing, right? It's like, it's our nourishment, it's our health. It provides us with pleasure for most of us. It provides comfort, you know, when we're like sad and we stress eat and all that stuff. Um, but at the same time, it's so much more than a personal choice because, uh, it has this chain of effect and really anything that you purchase, you know, whether it's like a steak or an iPhone or something, it's yeah. like, okay, well, the environment, humans, animals, all that stuff is affected by yeah. it. Um, so, 
you know, I, I get the defensiveness over it because, you know, no one wants to feel like they're being made to do something wrong. And when it's something that we've just like ate and enjoyed and gotten all this culture and tradition and all that stuff from all these years, and then someone comes along and sort of like lifts up that blinder and you're like, hey, you know, you might want to think about what you're doing, what what the result is when you consume yeah. these things. It's like, you know, even if you know someone's right, and my, myself included, if someone's like, hey, you're doing this thing that sucks, I'd like to think I'm better at, at it now, but you know, your gut reaction is always going to be like, no, it's not. I'm going to defend this idea and this practice. And like, even if you know you're wrong, you're going to defend it. And so I think that's just people uh, are one incredibly misinformed about yeah. all of this stuff. And it's just, um, I mean, we can get into the 10 billion lives and uh, tour. The yeah, video. I actually, I, I, are you still affiliated with them? I just finished a tour. I'm not yeah. sure if I'm going to be going back, but it's yeah. certainly on the table. Everyone gets a little weird about talking about jobs, so I just wanted to... Yeah. Be, no, I mean, I'd certainly... Yeah, I, I would I, love uh, to talk about it, but... I thought it was an incredible thing, and I... Um, actually, just like following your Facebook and Instagram, like, I haven't made any jumps, but, like, you know, even just starting, like, Meatless Mondays and little things like that. Yeah. Trying to do little tiny things is... I... You know what it is? Like, I don't think I want... And I still don't want to. I'm not thin as you're staring at me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a really hard thing to change with, like, dietary for anyone. Yeah. And then, like, I love knowing about, like... I can read about, like, a, co- a corporation fucking over its people, and I love that stuff. But then when it's, like, about factory farming, I just somehow... I've always turned a blind eye to that stuff, and I yeah. think I can't do it anymore. And I, I don't... And it, it, it It's emotional as shit. Yeah. I, well, so I get so sad about like anything, like I even just glance, I'm like, I can't even, yeah, I can't even do this. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, again, I, I've been there and it's, yeah. um, people will often be like, so what's your vegan story? How'd you do this? And I'm yeah. like, you know, I, I wish I had this like light bulb moment, Yeah. but, um, you know, it's sort of a transition and most people, very few people are like, I've seen one video and I'm going vegan now or even vegetarian or something. It just takes a while. Um, and yeah, so for me it was like, you know, I would see bands, some would have like some, you know, why should you go vegan leaflets on their table? And I'd read through it and I would be like, this is horrible. This makes sense to me and I'm not going to do anything about it. You know? And even, even in college I had a speech class and I decided to do it on why you should go vegan. And I was not vegan. I was not vegetarian. I was eating double bacon cheeseburgers Mm -hmm. every day in the cafeteria uh, with like blue cheese. And um, I did this speech and it was incredibly compelling. And afterwards people were like, well, where do you get your B12 or what about this? And I was like, Oh, I have no idea. I'm not vegan. And they're like, (laughs) Oh, Um, you know, but, but while doing the research and it was minimal research, I went, oh, this actually makes a lot of sense. And this is like, if you were to have an argument about this, it's incredibly easy to win the argument. Not that it's about winning arguments, but it's like there's so many facts, especially on the environmental damage side and health side. Um, I understand how people could fudge around the ethical implications Mm -hmm. because people have many ways of interpreting that. But but even from that standpoint, I think it's pretty airtight for the most part. it's just like, it just made so much sense to me and I still did nothing about it. And I, I went vegetarian for like yeah two or three months at some point in college, didn't stick. Um, and I, I don't know why, I have no idea why, but um, for some reason, right as we, we were releasing Fear Everything and we were about to go on basically six months of touring with wow. like a few, like oh, a, a week off for like Christmas here and there or something. Um, and uh, myself and Ethan, our bass player, and John, our sax player at the time, I have no idea why we were talking about it, but we talked about going vegetarian together at some point. And 
I've told this story so many times to so many people, um, but basically uh, we were just like, all right, well, yeah, sure, let's do that. And I don't think we were like, it's good for the animals or ourselves. It just seemed like this thing that in general was like a good thing to do. And we're like, well, when should we do it? Well, we can't do it in Florida because we're going to get Alaskan, you know, Mima's Alaskan tacos and get gator tacos. And in Texas, there's this burger place. And in (laughs) California, there's these, we go to In-N-Out. But we've never toured Pat like above Southern California. We don't know what's in Seattle. We won't know what we're missing. Let's do it when we leave California. Okay. Um, you know, which is just like silly to put it off like that. But you know, for whatever, it's just like sometimes you just have to write for the right wait for the right time. And we got to California, and um, our friend Mitch brought us to this burrito place. And the veggie burrito was the cheapest. And me, John, and uh, and Ethan were just like, "Hey, you want to do it now?" I'm like, sure. And we just on the spot went vegetarian. I never looked back, never hesitated, never doubted, you know. And this was like I struggled being vegetarian in college, and this was just like I'm done, I'm good. And it was wow. like just for whatever reason, so easy to do it then. And then you know, if you're ever in California, the main highway is the five, yeah. And you drive up it, and there's all these cattle operations. Mm-hmm. And so I remember driving by and feeling so good that I wasn't supporting that anymore. Little yeah. did I know, of course, consuming dairy, I was still supporting it. Yeah. Uh, but I just remember feeling like this like weight lifted off my conscious. And then um and then our, our sax player John went vegan not too long after that. And I remember thinking it was such a pain in the ass, like, oh we have to look for bread that doesn't have milk in it anymore. Yeah. And I was just so upset even as a vegetarian. <laughs> and then we toured with called Arson and I believe three of them were vegan and the other was vegetarian, but they may have all been vegan, but that was just the thing that sort of showed us the way. And it was like, that's the first time I tried like vegan cream cheese was with them. And I wasn't like, I was like curious, but I was also kind of like, I don't know if that seems like a lot of work. I don't know if I can do that. Um, But it was just like, Oh, that's when I realized we're going to the same grocery store. Most of what we buy is the same. There's a few things that are different. Mm. And they, they taught us the way of like, get your ramen and then instead of like the chicken stock or whatever, like mix in some peanut butter and hot sauce and you have like a Thai noodle dish. And it's just Ooh. like little things like that. And we're like, okay. And so then, you know, a couple months after that, I just, again, was just like, I think I'll just buy a vegan cookbook. And, you know, for like two weeks, I was like not announcing that I was vegan. <laughs> and then, and then uh, John was like, you know, we, we played this show. This is the only reason why I remember my, my vegan anniversary. Yeah. It was Wallingford, and it was it was an amazing show. It was um, Graf Orlock, Comadre, um, Hostage Comms, like second show ever. Oh god, My Heart to Joy, like one oh, of their god. early shows. So it was this like amazing bill. And John was like, "Oh, you? I heard you're like eating vegan now." And I was like, "Yeah, I guess I am." And from then, it was just you know that was over wow. seven years ago, August second. So it was just like uh, these moments where it was just like never look back and just do it now. So that's sort of my story. And it's a thing that I knew all along was like something I should do and was the right thing to do. Yeah. I just, for whatever reason, had to wait until the right time to do it. And then, but then it was like years before I did any like official with an organization activism. But I would, you know, me and Mitch would make vegan baked goods and chili and bring them to shows and sell them for real cheap and have yeah, some. Yeah, I remember like, seeing you there all the time. Yeah. And, and that I was, was the first time I tried vegan food. Yeah. And it was good. Yeah. And I was just like, cool, tastes good. Yeah, I, I don't mean, care. It that, tastes good. That's all I care about. <laughs> that's and that's the thing is that it, it shouldn't be a a personal or uh, I don't want to use the word selfish because that's such a negative connotation. And it shouldn't be that because it's like, well, animals are dying. We're destroying our earth. But it's like, yeah, ultimately, 
if it doesn't taste good, no one's going to do it or very few people are going to do it. So that was our way of just being like, hey, you can try this coconut cupcake. You can try that. My specialty was like pineapple chili Mm. and like try this chili. And then people are like, oh, it's actually good. And you realize you don't have to give up anything. You're just sort of slightly shifting where you're getting your food from or where you're getting certain taste and texture from. And and that was like to me, I was like, this is the way in. Like you get your foot in the door with a cupcake or a cookie. Oh, yeah. And I, I never felt, uh, at least from the Connecticut shows and you guys specifically, never felt strong-armed. I'd never been, felt, like, attacked. Like, I feel like some people hear the word vegan and they feel like they're somehow being attacked. And yeah. I, maybe other people who are vegan do that and, like, on the, like that the statement, the high horse. Yeah. I'd never, ever, ever. And I went to liberal arts, hippy-dippy college, so, like, we had <laughs> vegan no-bakes and vegetarian yeah. options and, like... I think it was just natural. I was like, yeah, there's vegetarian and there's regular non-vegetarian. I, I've never had a vegan jump down my throat. Yeah. I think the biggest scandal we had is uh, we had a cow, we had like a farm on our campus, and they wanted to slaughter the cow and the vegans, uh, the vegans, I'm sorry, but there was like, maybe it was a <laughs> Those club. people. Those people like <laughs> fought for the our cow, bow now, or I think it was his name, not to be slaughtered. And that was like yeah. the biggest like vegan thing. I was like, oh. Well, I like that cow too. Maybe it should live. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, cows are generally pretty nice. Yeah, I, yeah. I I love hearing your story. That it wasn't like um, I know. It just was just so anticlimactic. It was just like yeah, it just happened. <laughs> and that's the thing is that I, I think when I'm doing outreach, people want to have that. Oh, and then I saw this horrible footage, and then I you know, yeah. and it was just like I don't know. I had to wait for the right time. So that's why in my approach. I try to be non-judgmental. I'm sure in my earlier years as a vegan, I see most people doing this where you've like learned this thing and you feel like you, yeah. you know, not to use like a religious language, but like you've seen the light or whatever. And mm. then you just want to like shake everybody and be like, do you realize what you're doing? And this is the best thing. And you're going to be so healthy and it's going to be so good for all these things. Um, and you realize you have to kind of rein it in a little yeah. bit. And certainly there are vegans that that will jump down someone's I think that's throat like every type of group of people yeah it's just maybe that's human nature because i've been like that with certain things like yeah, when yeah. i would learn something like don't go to walmart and here's why and then <laughs> yeah like, i end up back at walmart yeah like once five in months a while. later yeah you know it happens um but yeah i, I think that um there are obviously going to be people that are sort of really kind of maybe pushy and, and mean about it and uh i mean from my perspective it's an issue that if you stripped all human psychology out of it, it's like, is an issue worth being mean about? Cause it's like yeah. taking the life of an animal, but knowing what we know about human psychology, if we're trying to be the best, um, you know, uh, activist for these animals, we need to use every tool in our handbook, um, possible. And that means not being mean to people. Yeah. Um, because I think about who, who would I want to like be the vegan you'd want to meet before you went vegan, you know, yep. like be the person. Cause I, I met vegans that were like in the punk hardcore scene that were very, you know, for lack of a better term, militant about it. And they yep. didn't inspire me to want to check it out, but hanging out with called arson inspired me to want to check it out. Cause they're like the nicest dudes ever. And they yeah. make incredible music and they're fun to hang out with Yeah, and they happen to be vegan and they'll answer my questions, but they're not, you know, always, that's not the only thing they ever talk about. And you go to cool restaurants that you would never have been to before. And that's my favorite part of traveling ever. I was gonna, like, so being <laughs> vegan and travel, is that hard? No. Like you must, I mean, what, what, what exists for like other apps? I mean, the world's changed so much. There must be like a network of yeah things. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, if you are someone who, uh, you know, like when touring with TFT, uh, you know, you're t- it's two in the morning in some random small town and you need food. Chances are you're going to Taco Bell, you know, and there's like apps that will tell you, oh, what's vegan at these restaurants? What's it called? Um, do you, do you happen to know? 
I think it's called Vegan Express, which wow. is like an express. Um, but really um, but the app that I always use is called Happy Cow, and that's the one that lets you find like the restaurants, and um, you know, so it's like you get to a oh. town, you check out Happy Cow, and you can sort it by ve- vegan only restaurants or vegetarian or v- vegan options, or you know, veggie markets or stuff like that. And so for me, um, you know, even. I, we spent like a month doing outreach in Mississippi and Alabama and the, the fun vegan restaurant options are very sparse. They don't have any all vegan or vegetarian restaurants, but they have like mellow mushroom, which is a pizza chain that's all over the South and you can mm. get vegan cheese and fun, like vegan meats and stuff. And the places where you, where you wouldn't expect it, that it does exist. Yeah. And I mean, really if you're, if you're, if you're like traveling and you can't find a place that like specifically caters to a vegan or vegetarian, um, Chinese food, Thai food, Indian yeah. food, Ethiopian, Japanese, um, all the basically the cuisines of the world that aren't like American burgers and fries. It's so funny as, as you're saying, I was like, oh, you mean the world? Yeah, pretty much. They're all heavily plant based. And yeah. the more westernized they get, the more meat is included. Mm-hmm. But you look at like cultures around the world and they're like heavily plant based cultures. Yeah. Um, so you can easily go to any of those types of restaurants and with like one or two questions, you'll know, oh, I can get this. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you go to any rest- Chinese restaurant. Broccoli with garlic sauce is awesome. Broccoli and tofu with garlic sauce, even Ooh. better. I've had General Tso's tofu at more mm. vegan restaurants or like regular Chinese restaurants around the world than I can, or at least in the U.S., than I can even yeah. remember. Um, so those are all easy. But for me, the, like the true pleasure of traveling is getting to check out vegan or vegetarian restaurants all over the place. And, you know, even Texas and, you know, like I mean, places. country where, where you're not expecting it. Yeah, Texas is incredibly vegan friendly. I've spent like probably two or three months there now doing outreach. And I mean, especially all the major cities, that's to be expected. But even some of the smaller areas, like the first all vegan dining hall at a college is in Denton, Texas, which is not like a big town. No, a friend of mine, my friend McKay is from Denton. Nice. Uh, if she's you listening. Tell, you should tell her to go because yeah. you pay like seven bucks as a member of the public. And you can just go in. It's all you can eat. Um, so it's like, and it's great vegan food and they have a mix of healthy stuff, but they also have like pizza and soft serve and, you know, it's on a college campus. So, um, you know, that's amazing. So, so for me, it's just like, all right, I want to go and I want to see and support these small, smaller local businesses and try the food. And, you know, there's so much foodie culture in in the mainstream vegan movement that, um, Mm. you know sometimes takes the focus away from, from sort of really intense issues, but also lets people know you want a uh, Philly cheesesteak, you want fried chicken, you want like all these things and you can get it and you can have the vegan version of it. It's going to be delicious. You know, there's this, uh, I don't know if you ever, if you outreach or ever travel out to Providence, which used to not be a great place, but now it's fucking awesome where I live. I remember my wife, uh, my now, we weren't married at the time, but we were going out to dinner at this new restaurant, uh, called the Grange. And she, I, w- I used to be a very, very picky eater. Yeah. And she just didn't tell me that it was vegetarian. It just did not mention it at all. And I didn't even notice it until after we left. Like, I ended up just getting this amazing meal and this amazing soup. And there was another time she brought me to a bakery uh, called Wildflower. It's I've heard amazing things about that place, but I haven't been. To die for. I think it's technically Pawtucket. It's, like, right on the Providence line on the east side. Yeah. Uh, we went in there. I got, like, a chocolate pastry of some sort. Ate it. Thought it was amazing. Check, like, you know that's vegan, right? It's like, and she's not like a vegan or anything. It's just she just goes there because they have amazing bakers. Yeah, and it like it blew my mind. I was like, what? It 
but it didn't taste any different. She's like, yeah, just she didn't even go there for any other reason. Like small business, yeah, we're foodies. Like we like to support small local, yeah. small local businesses, and we like on the economic sense. It wasn't even the vegan aspect. It was like you know keep your tax dollars in your community. Yeah, and then and then none of that money was even going into the factory farming industry. We didn't even even think that far. It was like. This is the best. Uh, I can't remember. It was some like chocolate mousse cake, or yeah. I mean, it was chocolate, which I couldn't believe that the vegan chocolate could taste as good as it did. Yeah, I mean, was, I mean the the thing is, it. I mean, veganism as like a movement and as a philosophy is not even a hundred years old, and like the the sort of the really the mainstream movement is only like a few decades old. Yeah, so it's like you know, um, at least in terms of mimicking, uh, you know cakes and like all that stuff because um, obviously you have cultures around the world and like india and jamaica and mm. stuff like that where like they have heavily plant-based culture um, yeah that has benefited from thousands of years of of uh oh yeah these things being uh developed but um th- as far as cooking and baking and all this stuff has come in like the western world in the last 20 years is like huge and so it's like you're starting to see now places that are thriving not because it's the vegan place but because it's the best place that happens to be vegan um which i remember i was watching um a documentary about um it was about a couple of different clothing lines and mostly contrasting like american apparel with no sweat both Mm. approaching the the no sweatshop thing and uh for as much as a heard as Dove Charney, the head of American Apparel is, he was like, you know, our philosophy is basically you're buying it because it's the best shirt, not because it's the shirt, or it's like the best shirt that happens to be made with no sweatshop labor. Mm. Um, you know, that's why we're selling them, you know, so it's like, you know, you're seeing now restaurants like, or like places like Dunwell Donuts in New York City, it like won a competition, beat out like all other all other donuts, vegan or not, in the city, and they're an all-vegan establishment. Wow. And you're seeing that all over the country now, and people, like, winning awards and just, like, totally blowing other places out of the, out of the water yeah. because they make the best stuff. And, like, I can say, I guess maybe not without bias, but there's some places where, like, the best cinnamon bun I've ever had is from, like, vegan treats in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. vegan or not. The best ice cream I've ever had is from Lula's in New York City, mm. vegan or not. You know, and it's just, like, people are now realizing it's not about you know, surviving. It's about thriving both health wise yeah. and taste wise. And you oh, can absolutely. get all that stuff from plant-based food and it doesn't mean sacrificing anything. And like, uh, I remember I was in Portland, Maine. I don't know if you ever go up there, but, uh, there's a place called the green elephant and it was the best pad thai I ever had. The same thing, vegetarian restaurant. And it, it wasn't marketed as come here to get away from meat and save the world. It's like, come here for a fucking amazing meal. And, Oh, yeah, by the way, we don't use any animal products. Sure. Yeah. And by the time they're talking about it, I'm like, oh, I don't care. I'm eating good food. Yeah. Uh, Providence also has uh, Like No Utter, which is like a non... Oh, the ice cream d- place. Yeah, I, ha- I haven't had it. I- amazingly, I haven't, um, I haven't explored Providence too much. Well, Every time I go there, obviously, Nice Slice is sort of the stop for like yep. vegan pizza. Yeah, I was actually just there a couple nights ago. Oh, it's yeah. great. Their, their barbecue chicken pizza is still yeah. one of my favorites. Like no other, at least it's a truck that goes around. It's like a food truck, and yeah. like just buy non dairy treats. I do that all every time I see it. I'm like, gotta get that. Problem, like you know, because Johnson and Wales is there, so there's been a big explode. Like, definitely, I didn't know much about it until I moved there. It's, it's fucking awesome. Like I really, I really, I mean, people. If anyone's ever listened to me talking this before, they know I love it there. So yeah, it's no big deal. <laughs> I, so like, what? Let's. Uh, I love to plug restaurants. Like, so you're traveling the country. But you were traveling with a billion lives, is that what they're called? Oh, 10 billion lives. 10 billion lives, which yes. is the amount of animals 
you have saved or hope to save. Uh, so 10 billion lives refers to the number of land animals that are slaughtered for food in the U.S. every year. There's like another <laughs> estimated 16 billion marine animals. There's not actually really good accurate numbers on marine animals. Um, oh, just, our fishing uh, tactics are just fucking awful. I remember yeah. learning about them. I mean, see, I mean, we just all have to get used to this new world. If seafood's done, like you shouldn't be. If you live in Japan, don't touch seafood from that part because yeah. of all the nuclear waste. I remember learning of like our fishing practices were just like lighting sticks of dynamite, throw it into the ocean, let it explode, get all the fish that were stunned, and simultaneously, a you're killing the fish, you're also killing all of coral reef. You're just destroy the Three Mile Island, the big thing of plastic that's floating around. Like yeah, yeah, fishing from a number of angles is horrible. And um, every aspect, because <laughs> when you think of fish, and you think one person fishing one fish, and yeah. and why it's wrong ultimately, especially. Uh, but I guess people can justify that. But it's not one person fishing one fish. It's gigantic oil-driven machines yeah. put, polluting our oceans and then just taking tons and tons. And they don't even use it all. And like, if something gets caught in the net, there's not like, oh, we went to get tuna and some rats are on the boat and the rats got in there. The FDA re-regulates it so you could have X amount of feces and rats in there. Like, yeah. yeah. I just had tuna on the way here. See, I, I, but I think as a human, you can be contradictory. Like, I, I guess I can know these things and still act that way, and maybe I'm slowly trying to get to a better version of me. Yeah, yeah. That. Well, that's what it's about is, is you know, realizing those areas where you can start to cut back on the things that maybe you feel like you wouldn't miss as much and then yeah. and then get there. Or, you know, dive in overnight and just, like, sort of make that plunge. But it's yeah. just, you know, it's just the more you eat the, the, the various, you know, just, you know, you make the effort to go, all right, I feel like I eat probably like five whatever vegan meals this week in a week, yeah. generally speaking. Well, let me make a conscious effort to say seven or eight meals a week mm. and then build it up from there. Because once you do it, you realize you still feel good. It's delicious food, um, you know, and it gets easier and easier. But to bring it back to the oh, fishing yeah. thing, um, yeah, I, I believe the number is for every like pound of fish that is consumed, there's five pounds of other marine animals that are thrown overboard dead. And or we're dying. talking dolphins, seals, dolphins, sea turtles, whales, some birds sometimes, turtle. other fish that's not desirable. Um, you know, and, and uh, dolphins are smart. Yeah, I actually from one of the videos you posted, I never knew pigs were that smart. Yeah, and so uh, it's difficult to discuss animal intelligence because the only real measuring stick we have is our own intelligence. So it's mm. like it's not really fair to judge the intelligence of an animal based on its ability to follow our orders that we give to it. But um, you know, certainly by any any measure, though, like dolphins and pigs and, and like you know a number of animals are like incredibly aware of what's going on um sort of you know the vegan position is basically it's not the intelligence that matters but it's the sentience which is like a being's ability to be subjectively aware um, yeah. and to feel pain and stuff like that that's like what really matters so that's why it's like well we still mm -hmm. care about uh like a, a mouse or something that or, or a creature that maybe mm -hmm. is not gonna pass the same test that, like a dolphin or a chimpanzee would yeah um but yeah, I mean, fishing is just incredibly, incredibly unsustainable, wasteful, um, horribly wasteful. And you know, I've read accounts where basically the uh, the the drag netting that they do is the same to like the ocean floor as it is to like clear cutting a forest. Like you're just absolutely destroying oh. the ecosystem. Um, and and there's a, a incredible documentary that just came out called Cowspiracy. Uh, I would highly recommend, like, I think every person on the planet needs to see it. And it's all about the environmental damage done by animal agriculture. And they talk about fishing mm -hmm. and they interview all these heads of all these organizations that, that champion, you know, uh, environmental causes and then ask them why they're not talking about animal agriculture, which is 
by far the number one contributor to all these things. Uh-huh. And they interview a number of people like Oceana and uh, a few other like ocean ocean groups. And basically, the conclusion is like there's no such thing as sustainable fishing like at all. Like we can't help the ocean by consuming fish. Like obviously, it's not good for the individual fish, but it's not good for the overall ocean ecosystem. Well, the biodiversity is just wiped out. Yeah, like we're we're really screwing ourselves and obviously causing a lot of pain to the animals but also just like it's gonna come back and and bite us like do you think we're reaching that point now especially with climate change becoming even the deniers like which obviously are paid by oil companies and i'm not just that's not some conspiracy that's actual documented proof Uh that uh the like the this the conversation of climate change has changed from we can prevent it to prevent it it's like all right well it's here and now we have to adapt it's too late like like it's it's kind of scary. Like you wonder where we're gonna be in fifty years. Like there's countries that are just gonna be underwater. I mean, I, I know the science says that like um, the, the the Earth goes in patterns, but the idea and some people will just make that argument. So this is normal, but it's just going so rapidly. Yeah, is it Moldova where the president was the one of the largest activists held a meeting underwater because his country is about to be underwater? Like New York's gonna be gone. I didn't hear about that. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly it's not my area of expertise by any means. But yeah, no, I, no, me neither. But but uh, I do know. Yeah, the was it the consensus project that basically does like a meta analysis of all the reports on global warming, yeah. and it's like ninety eight percent agree or ninety seven percent agree that. It's real and it's it's man-made or, or caused by humans. Yeah, or at least advanced. I think at the ultimate. Well, yeah, and you're. It's funny. I guess agriculture is our damaged environment. It never gets brought up because I always think oil companies and. But then what about like places like Monsanto, which are, fucking the devil, literally the devil, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's. I never even think of how we consume our food to can affect it. Like I know the ozone layer is being depleted because McDonald's is cutting down our rainforest to have more room for cattle. And because of the more cattle, there's more uh, methane released through their farts, which yeah. is hilarious, but then really <laughs> bad because you need the ozone layer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to live. Yeah. Um, again, cowspiracy like really goes into depth with those this. numbers, but um, they talk about how like it's basically cow farts and clear cutting of the rainforest because the rainforest yeah. is the lungs of the earth, basically like yeah. providing a lot of the air that we need. Um, but then you have also all the yeah pesticide runoff and like all these giant animal agriculture operations. Every single one of them has uh, a waste lagoon, which is like a football field sized lagoon yeah. of animal waste and feces and urine, which Stuff is loaded. You don't think about goes yeah. into our water. Yeah, Ooh. and and there's Ugh. you know human waste we have all these regulations that for treatment and all this stuff. And there's basically zero anything regulating the treatment of animal waste, which is like significantly, I forget the numbers. I wish I had them in front of me, but significantly larger than it's like, you know, the animals create like more than a hundred times or whatever the, the waste that humans do every day. And we're only regulating our waste. And so they're in these lagoons that, uh, some of it gets sprayed back out on the field to fertilize the field, but that's like a real small minority. And then the rest, like it leaks into groundwater systems, it evaporates, uh, gets put up into the atmosphere. And so not only is it, you know, shit and piss, but all the hormones, the chemicals, and the antibiotics, and like is this like horrible, uh, horrible waste. And so you find that like operations that have these things, the rates of respiratory diseases go up in the community around them. Childhood asthma goes up two or three times uh. in the community. So not only do you have these externalities that are put on, uh, you know, the environment, but also the communities yeah. that, that they're put in. 
and also the people, the places where these things get put in are low income communities and communities of yep. color. So it's like people that are further disadvantaged by this oh, yeah. system that's already not paying attention to them. Do you ever get shit from people of being like veganism is almost like a luxury for rich white kids? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a that's certainly a criticism that comes up, but people who make that criticism, whether knowingly or unknowingly, haven't really looked at all the information. Mm-hmm. From a, a financial standpoint, like, undeniably, there's a, a lot of white people in veganism, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of uh, fancy boutique brand products that are sold at Whole Foods that are not accessible to mm-hmm. low-income communities, and especially communities of color and people who have suffer from accessibility to food. But um, when you look at the big picture, like we were talking about how the global cuisine of the world is plant-based and the people in the poorest countries aren't eating hot dogs and chicken nuggets and steaks and burgers. They're eating rice and beans and grains and vegetables. And the meat in their diet is um, a special occasion or it's a little bit for like flavoring. You know, because like a bon mi usually has like this like tiny little like strip of like meat in it for the flavor, uh, but in America you're gonna get this like giant like slab of meat mm. on it, and that's just because of our American culture. So um, that is really a Western thing, then this whole thing. So yeah, and it's uh, you know when we talk about the the huh. privilege that comes along with veganism or like looking at our food choices in general, knowing how huge the impact is environmentally from consuming animals and then who's bearing the brunt of that Mm -hmm. um it's low-income communities not just in america but around the world yeah so we have like you pointed out uh beef industry clear-cutting rainforest um and people like privatizing water sources of indigenous people around the world so they don't have access to their own water like uh nestle owns nestle does that coca-cola does that like it's it's all pretty bad so obviously like nestle and coca-cola are not specifically an animal you know product but um you know sort of that globalization and and big business in general but especially animal agriculture um, because it requires so much more water and resources, mm. um, like it takes 660 gallons, I believe, to make one pound of beef. You know, and it's just like that's like showering for a couple months. And, and there's people who don't have clean access access to clean water. Exactly, and like wow. in our own country, but especially around the world. And so there's like all these all these issues that the Western or like the affluent demand for animal products because the the culture or the societies that eat the most animal products are the ones that are the wealthiest. So it's like you're starting to see as various areas of the world are becoming more developed, uh, they're consuming more animal products. And like China, for instance, is starting to consume way more animal products, which is a really bad bad news for the whole world because they have so many people. And they have, I know, very poor uh, food regulations. A friend of mine goes to work for work and to China and he just talks about the, f- the food he has to, he's like just and he's a picky eater yeah and just like he's like no you just they have n- no standards for food and safety there so where does the regulation come in and like the government and so see i i'm sure like i wish man i wish uh you jeff uh from folly was here because you and him are like on that same wavelength you guys would talk about this for hours he's like you guys are a lot like that so, like, what what can one do? Um, like, your activist. Let's like kind of talk about your activism now, because you identified the problem and you are going out there and, and you are a part of the solution. Which, thank you, <laughs> uh, from the earth <laughs> and from people. Do you get uh, treated well by people? Like, you must get some. I bet you get treated a lot better than I assume. 
Yeah, actually. Um, so I guess just for people listening so they know exactly what the type of outreach yeah. we do is, the tour is called the 10 Billion Lives Tour, and it's a project of FARM, which is our a nonprofit, stands for Farm Animal Rights Movement. Um, and so the tour that I did, we have this truck. It looks like a food truck, basically. And uh, myself and one other person during the school year travel. We live inside of it. Inside is like basically a really kind of stripped down RV. Like there's bunk beds and there's like a microwave and a fridge. It's kind of it. Um, and so on the outside, it, it looks like a bright, colorful, fun food truck. And um, there's awnings that go up on, on all sides of the vehicle, except for like the, the windshield side. Um, and underneath there's TV screens. So there's eight TV screens with four headphones each and um, big sign that goes up on the roof that says, get paid a dollar to watch a four minute video. So we do what's known as pay-per-view activism. So basically the hook is like, Hey, come watch our video. It's just four minutes long. We'll give you a dollar cash when you're done. Are you telling people what it's about? We do not. So that's certainly, it's part of our strategy. If they ask what it's about, we, we definitely tell them, um, but, you know, as you know, most people, if you're like, hey, you want to learn about factory farming yeah. or animal, you know, agriculture, people go, oh, I don't want to see that. Um, so, you know, we we actually one of the smart things about the tour is we collect a name and an email from every person before they watch because all the screens are touchscreen. Yeah. And we can send them follow up surveys to see if they've changed their eating habits and also just oh, ask wow. them. And I, I believe through our surveys, it's like 60% of people didn't know what the video is about before watching it. So, um, but yeah, so they watched the video. It's four minutes long. People can see it for themselves at 10billionlives.org. Um, and they can have a chance to win movie tickets if they watch online. Uh, (laughs) but yeah, so they watched the video and it sort of, you know, just goes through the main animals, pigs, chickens, turkeys, cows. Unfortunately, there's not a section on fish. Um, but I'm hoping we're going to add that when we do future uh, versions of it. Um, but yeah, so people watch the video, they put in their name, they put in their email, they watch the video. It sort of shows animals that are living at like a farm sanctuary, um, you know, who do not exploit the animals just be like, these are what animals are like and they're smart and they're intelligent and they form social bonds and all that stuff. And this is what their lives are like in food production. And then, so it's like, here's the chickens, here's the turkeys, here's your cows. And there's gruesome footage. It's not nearly the most gruesome footage that's out there. We only show the stuff that's legal. Um, obviously there's a lot of like bad apple stuff out there. That's sort of really hard to watch. I think what we show is still hard to watch. And then it comes. It's nice to hear you say that. Thank you for saying that because I felt like I was like weak for watching it and feeling that way. So it's nice to hear someone like you say that. It's not easy to watch. I mean, I never get used to it, obviously, you know, and I'm around it like all day long. Um, But uh, and then it comes out and it's just like, but we don't have to contribute to this. And, you know, and it shows examples of like delicious, healthy vegan food. Yeah. And then at the end, um, every person who watches is asked to make a pledge and it's on the touchscreen and it says, you know, Chris, will you help end this cruelty? I pledge to eat animal-free meals this many days a week, and they choose you know oh, wow. zero, one, up through seven. Over eighty percent of people pledge at least one to two days a week. Um, you know, so it's a very much a non-judgmental way. It's not like oh, you watched the video, are you vegan? No, okay, fuck you. It's like all right, hey, we know this can sometimes seem a little daunting. What do you think? Two, three days, four, wow. five days, whatever. And you know, we get people every day who are like, "I'm going vegan right now." What a great approach! Um, but yeah, so, you know, it's awesome because you're not yelling at people. You're like, "Here's the information," and then they make the pledge, and then we, you know, they step away from the screen. We approach them and just ask them what they thought of the video, and then follow the conversation from there. So some people want to talk about it, some people don't. If they don't, you know, we sort of usually just you know be like, "Hey, what'd you think?" And they'll be like, "Oh, I, I don't," you know, and it's just like, "Okay, well, you know." 
and we'll like sort of reiterate a couple of the points of the video just so they know they really got the message. And, you know, when we're talking to people, you know, we're always using language that reflects the fact that by far the most effective thing we can do to help these animals. Um, and the video is all focused on the animals, not so much health or environment, but we mm -hmm. talk about in the conversation afterwards, best thing for animals, ourselves, and the environment is to, you know, go vegan. Um, and then sort of read their face, see how they're like, oh, kind of freaked out by it. And then if, you know, they seem like daunted by it, uh, then we're like, you know, if you feel like you can't do that, like, let's figure out a good first step for you to take. Like, is yeah. this something you care about? It is. Okay, cool. Well, let's figure it out. Like, what do you think? How often, you know, ask them what they're eating. How often do you eat, you know, a, a non-vegan meal? And it's like, oh, that's like every day of the week, three days a week, three times a day or whatever. Or the people are like, I don't eat that much. I probably eat, go a couple of days already without meat or something. And then we're like, cool, you're doing three days. Let's bump it up to four or five. Does that sound like something you'd want to do? Um, and then, you know, so we have the conversation, we answer the questions and then they send them off with the dollar and a little more information. We have like a vegan eating guide. Um, and so to get back to your question, you no, just this asked, is amazing. um, the question you asked was, uh, you know, do we get treated well? Um, and so the outreach that we do is presented in a way that doesn't leave a lot of room for people to be assholes to us. Mm -hmm. Um, not that it doesn't happen, but, uh, you know, so compared to other forms of outreach, say, you know, one of the next most popular is leafleting. You may have seen people like at campuses that are just mm -hmm. handing out little booklets, why vegan or whatever. Mm. Um, you know, and so people can walk by and be like, oh, vegan, I know I don't like vegans. And I'm going to say something rude, even though I've leafleted and people are just like, oh, thanks or no thanks and, you know, whatever. Um, or you protest and that's like a lot of like yelling at people and that really opens the floodgates for people to be mean back. This is something where undeniably what's happening is cruel and horrible. Yeah. And, and so even the people who say they don't want to change for the most part, admit that it is horrible and they don't like what's going on. So that already sort of puts you on that same page mm. and, and we're there to, you know, myself and whoever I'm traveling with, as well as often we'll have local volunteers, we're there to sort of be this like smiling, friendly, sane, you know, face of veganism. So, you know, we can answer questions and they can ask us, well, where do you get your protein or bring up objections? And they're all sort of the things that we always hear as vegans hundred times a day, but things like, well, aren't my canine teeth made to consume meat or where do I get this vitamin from? Or God put animals here for us. Like all this sort of this bingo board of excuses that anyone who does outreach or even is just vegan sort of is used to hearing, but we're there to like, you know, basically pretend like it's the first time we've ever heard that question asked and, mm -hmm. at, and, and be like, Oh, that's a really good question and explore it with them. Um, so it's like super effective in, in that regard. Wow. And the people that want to argue, like really argue, not just someone who brings up an objection and then we kind of talk about it. Those people is like a handful, like five to 10, like a week, you know, it's like very small, like one or two people a day usually. And sometimes you go several days without someone that's like really mean. Um, wow. Where do you guys get your funding? Is it donations? Yeah, so yeah. All the all the every single dollar we hand out to somebody is just money that's been donated by someone that's like, here's twenty bucks, here's fifty bucks. Um, so and how could someone donate? Listen to this. I'll put like a bunch of plug in the front and in the episode as well. But like, yeah. So um, would just it be great if we could help raise a couple bucks for them. Yeah, yeah. Donating to farm. Uh, it's just farmusa.org. 
and um, that's sort of the, the parent group. They're, they're the ones that, like, it's a very, you know, there's like 20 of us that work for Farm um, Nonprofit, and we have an office in D.C., just opened up one in Portland. Oh, cool. Um, and, you know, all the people that work for Farm are, like, super dedicated and just, like, you know, a real, like, family of people um, that, you know, we're basically focused on doing effective outreach and activism. So, like... Uh, in my opinion, like specifically the 10 million lives tour, like farm has a couple other programs, but 10 million lives seems to be coming, becoming the real flagship I of love the, your the thing. Um, do you think, uh, your experience as like the tour manager and touring with the flaming tsunamis, like helped with your vegan activism, like that must've helped lend. You had the skill set for the job without the vegan aspect too. Like that must've been a part of how you got the job, I would assume. Absolutely. Yeah. It was funny. Um, so my, I knew that the tour existed. I wasn't familiar with the ins and outs of it, but, um, my friend Rachel, um, who works for this group called the Humane League, she was like, Oh, Jenny. I like that pun on the human league from that <laughs> shitty eighties. I don't know if that's in shame and purpose. I, I I'm sure they've heard that. wasn't that. intended, but no, um, sorry to just credit their wonderful organization with a crappy song. <laughs> um, but yeah, she was like, oh, Jenny's leaving. She was the tour operator at the time. And she's like, you should go do this. And I was like, I can't. I have my button job. I have Compassion Company. It was like, all, I just like couldn't. But then um, I was on Farm's mailing list because I have done events. They put on the Animal Rights Conference every mm. year. Oh, so cool. I've, I've tabled with them or like at their events. So I was just on their mailing list. It wasn't like they like asked me to come do it. And they sent out an email that was just like, hey, we're looking for two new people to do the tour. These are the qualifications. This is what you're doing. And I like read through it and I was just like immediately like, oh, this is like perfect. Like this, I need yeah. to do this. Like basically I tour and talk about veganism to people. It's something I would and do for free. And you're a fan of touring. Yeah, I love touring. And I hadn't, you know, since TFT stopped touring extensively, um, hadn't really done a lot of touring. Did You know, did that like four or five months with Father and Albert, but... Um, so like, I was like, I think I was like leaving my job, my nine to five job. And I just like saw the email on my phone and I just like from my phone, like wrote an email to them. I was like, I, this is what I want to do. Um, and they're like, okay, well, and they were like familiar with me and the company. Like, well, how would you make it work with the company also? And then like, send us a resume, let us know. And so that was actually fun for me. Cause I got to, you know, go through my memory bank and go, how many tours have I done? And it was just like listing off like, you know, 20 whatever tours and like, oh, this tour was like three months and this tour was six months and I did Warp Tour for three weeks and like, you know, all these things. Yeah. So they said that, you know, easily just put me to the head of the, you know, top oh of the God. pile because I you think... knew how to tour. Yeah, and, and I think that like the, the 10 billion live position, like half the job is doing the outreach and the other half is surviving on the road. And, you know, it's I work for nonprofits as well and have for years like and gotta keep the lights on. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it does take money to run, so you had to go out there with someone who's not going to blow all of your money. Like, there's a financial component to running these things. Yeah, yeah. People don't like to think about that with stuff. Like, even the band. Like, you don't just get in a van with a bunch of your friends and tour the country and not have to worry about dollars and cents. Yeah. And, I, like, I'll make that comparison. Me and John were talking about, like, think of that now. At this age, I'm like, imagine if you and five of your friends wanted to get in a, con- in a car or a van and drive to California. You know how much planning that would fucking take? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and that's, um... it's ridiculous, the stuff you don't... Stuff that sounds awesome takes more work than you think. Yeah, and that's like, you know, in every band, there's usually one, sometimes two, but usually it's just the one person who does everything, which is fine, because if every, you know, if four or five members are trying to decide on, like, what shirt to print or how to book a show, it's going to be a disaster. So yeah. it's like you need that one person with kind of mm-hmm. that vision. 
But those are like always like the unsung heroes of yeah of the of the band. <clears throat> Maybe you'll play the instrument as yeah. well as somebody else, but you're getting them to next the next show and yeah. making sure you're playing shows or yeah. I mean, it's with the outreach too, like and you know how to be in a small space and get along with a human being. That's a that's a big thing. Um, oh, that's every job. Well, probably yeah. much more intensely with the, your work. But yeah, any yeah. job. Uh, 10, billion, Ten billion lives is like you better like who you're on the road with because mm-hmm. when work is done, you're still you you live yeah. where you work. You're living in this vehicle. You're traveling and. You can get your alone time, but you're with this one person to depend on survival. You love each other, hate each other, and there's no in between. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, as far as, like, band goes, you know, it's often described as, like, being in a band is like being married to every yeah. other band member, and it's, like, this relationship you have to make work. Um, it was a lot of fun when I was in Fathom Albert because Greg and D-Ray, who run Community Records and were in that band, they were, like, the me of their band. Like, they're the uh, ones that were, like, doing, you know, most of the organizational and all that. So I got to jump on board with that, and I actually got to sort of just be like, all right, tell me tell me where the next show is, and I'll be, you know, it was, yeah. I didn't have to, like, I, I would help out a little bit, but they were doing so much of the legwork that it was, like, a lot Fall of fun to just be like, yeah. you know, it is funny because, uh, you know, when I was booking, it's like, I knew off the top of my head every date, like, where every show was on this, like, two-month tour, where it is, what the venue is. And like other people in the band would be like, where are we going to be on? And I'm like, yeah. how do you not know? And then, know. then when I didn't have to know, I, was, I would just be like, I don't know where that. I just show up. We'll I just, just get in the there, band, yeah. you know. And th- that was like a lot of fun, fun to do that. But and you and Mark toured together, right? Warp tours. Warp tour. Did he do merch for you guys at all? We so Warp tour. I never did playing in a band. We always did it with like uh, either Kill Normal or Asbestos Records. Oh, Asbestos! The old you know one dollar comp. Yeah, great you know. comps too. Yeah, I still have some somewhere. And so that that was like uh, yeah. I mean, me and Mark, we used to go to like a lot of shows together and do like weekend go do this or that. We did Warp Tour, which is just, yeah, you walk around with a box of CDs, yeah. and in the line in the morning, want to get uh, buy a CD for a buck, it's 22 bands, cool. Um, and me and Mark, we took like a bus from Connecticut to Georgia to meet up with Flood and I think Scotty and like one other person in their minivan. Oh, and um, yeah, the first time we did that, our the bus like blew a tire <laughs> and we had to like transfer to another bus that got us at there after our transfer in New York has already gone. Oh my God. And we just were like, and someone was like, well, you have to get on that bus. And we're like, now it says Virginia, but this one says Atlanta. So we got on the Atlanta one and it turned out it was like the local service one that like stopped like everywhere. Oh. And we we're on this like whole, the whole trip took like 24 hours to get to Georgia. Jesus. So yeah, yeah, we spent some time on the road together, but it was never like, Band tour yeah. stuff. It was just like the hell of war. Your tour. parents are always on so, so supportive of all this lifestyle. Amazingly, yes. Uh, my parents are like I would almost use the words unreasonably supportive, just because I think of how much they've done for me. And if I had kids, I'd be like, yeah, I don't know. Because my dad, like, he used to drive us, me and my friends, to every show, mm-hmm. and I made this mix CD that me and my friends would sing along to loudly on the way to every show That's and so he sweet. would drop us off and if it was like an hour from our house he would just wait until it was done or go find somewhere to eat dinner and then come back and like Aww. you know stuff like that so so they've always been very supportive of you always had the cool parents I mean my parents are awesome like I yeah. I didn't realize how normal american classic standard upbringing I had until you know getting to high school and having a lot of friends that came from like divorced parents or oh, yeah. non-supportive families 
and my parents are like still very much in love with each other. Yeah, They're too. amazing. Um, I have one sister, you know, there's a, it's like a sister and a dog and a cat and like, mm-hmm. you know, that's the family. Um, but you know, my dad is, he's always been an artist. Like he's a, he's a goldsmith now. He has a, a jewelry business, wow. but it's all like just custom, you know? Yeah. Uh, and my mom works for Planned Parenthood. So like they both do things that are like, you make so much more sense. Now. <laughs> um, your progressive li- and, uh, this and your, um, your art, art, artist, the creativity. Yeah. That's so, awesome. So yeah, I think they, so, you know, they're both doing things they're very passionate about. So I think yeah. that they understand and support that. And uh, yeah, I remember when I was going to to do Fire Than Albert, I was like, well, if I do this, I have to move to New Orleans. And I had like, you know, touring in a band and not getting paid from it is not a good way to make money no. or save money. Um, so it's like I'd finished college and my parents, when my sister graduated college, she they're like, we're going to help you buy a nice, you know, a decent used car. So you have a good yeah. start to your adult life. And they want to do the same for me. And I was like. Wow. Well, how about we take whatever amount you would spend on that and give it to me so we can press our record and buy a tour vehicle, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. But, like, you know, and they, they were like, okay. And then, um, so it's like, you know, then there was all that. And then the band kind of winded down and I went to Farrah than Albert and I called my mom and I was like, I don't, you know, what do you think? And they're like, well, we won't like support you financially, but yeah, go for it. Like, like they're like, we're not gonna like pay for you to move there or something. Yeah, um, those are good parents. Though. Yeah, so that was like smart because they they they're not enablers. Yeah, they they enabled me just enough with their encouragement, but not a, as mm-hmm. much with like the financial there. Yeah. Um, but they're still cool. Like you know, um, they must brag about you all the time. Uh, I hope so. I don't yeah. know. They're really cool. They like me. I like them. Yeah, we that, get together so and play dominoes together. That's so sweet. <laughs> um, we, two things we have to hit before we leave. Uh, we'll leave. And because can you actually believe it's been an hour and a half? Really? Yeah. Well. I, I didn't look at the clock until now, which is fine with me. I don't. Yeah. I, like I mean, I got. Please. I got shit to do. Yeah, I'm fine. Of. I like to say that Kill Normal, you've got your old label. Is that that's no more anymore, right? No. Um, you signed the unsignable band. Eric and Sons of Bitches. <laughs> and um, maybe like four or five years ago, I was in Poughkeepsie and I saw Bomb the Music Industry. I was in college at the time, so maybe it was six years ago. I went down with a friend because they're like, oh, my friends are playing this place. I think it's called The Chance. Is that Poughkeepsie? Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah, we played there once. And then, um, so this is like, at this time, I was like, oh man, I've been to like a show like this. And I get to the show and I fucking see Jeff Rosenstock. I'm like, Jeff? And he, I, I was never like very close with him, but like I knew him enough. Like I talked to him a bunch of times. And then he's like, You look familiar. And then, like, you know, I was like, Oh, yeah, I'm from Connecticut. And you like the Kill Normal guy. He's like, So I remember like talking to him. And then uh, the drummer, JT, was playing drums. Nope, no. They had the iPod drummer that day. Okay. And it was just like such a fucking whirlwind. And they've gone on to do Bond the Music Industry, which has done amazing things. Yeah. And they were an AP. He was an AP for like Scene Innovator of the Year next to like Biz Stone and Kevin Lyman. I mean, Jeff, uh, whatever it is that Jeff has. Yeah. People love it and people want it. Um, I for me, like ASOB was always like oh, the thing that I the thing of his that I liked the most. I didn't quite. I enjoyed Bomb, but I didn't yeah. catch on to it as much as other people did. Yeah, but. you know, I think we're a little too old. It's almost like an age thing. Like it was dis- not not his fault. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> my fandom of people that were uh, within my age group dissipated a little bit. Like, yeah, I don't geek out over anyone that's my age because I'm like, well, now it's like jealous. Like you're doing better than me, you son of a bitch. <laughs> but if I was like, I. Uh, uh, like seventeen, looking at a band in their twenties, was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you probably saw Jeff Moore. I mean, he was a peer. 
for you. He, yeah, you know, it's weird. I, I don't see him like all that often. And um, we had like a, a, a bit of a strained relationship. Because this is one of the reasons why I stopped enjoying doing Kill Normal was that Mick, no matter how well and friendly you do it, you're still mixing friends with money. And, yep, uh, fuck that. You know, it's just not not a good situation. Um, yeah, and it's like hard doing a record label because on one one hand you're like in theory, helping to make your friends' bands more popular and helping them out, and that's good for them, and hopefully that'll eventually be good for you. Um, but you're still, at the end of the day, making money off of someone else's artistic output. Yeah. And when you're not directly involved in that artistic output, something about it just didn't quite feel yeah. right. But obviously it is uh, maybe not necessary, but it can be a really fruitful relationship when done well. And, I, you know, I look at, like, uh, like Top Shelf Records. Like, yeah. You know, those are guys that are from, you know, Western Mass scene and they've been around and, you know, we used to hang out with them back in the day and they're clearly doing amazing things and really helping out their bands and it's now their like full time gig as far as I know. So that's cool. um, You know, so it's like it it can be really awesome, but for me, it just never felt quite, quite right. It's so hard to mix uh, art and commerce. I think that's always the the thing. Yeah. And and now labels are almost, I don't want to say they're not important but it's just changed it's just the yeah. whole music industry and you were a band in that time like people will look back at that time where it was just like everything changed yeah i mean you were pre-myspace and now we talk as much we were talking we're pre-myspace and now myspace is a blip on the radar that people today won't know what we're talking about for the most part yeah it now doesn't we're matter post myspace now but it mattered so much yeah it's funny because it was it was my life at yeah one point. I, it's funny because, um, you know, I'm sure you remember the time oh, when God. it was just like, MySpace is it. Like, no one will. There's a billion people on MySpace. This no one will ever, end. you know. So it's like right now it's like, all right, it's only a matter of time before Facebook is, you know, and maybe it's on its way out. But Yeah, and no one knows what's next. Yeah, so which but, is kind of scary because, like, uh, you know, you spend all this time building up a following on various social media and networks just, and then it's done. just, you know, and it's like, I, you know. I used to be able to help, you know, book the tours. Like I said, throwing up a couple bulletins on MySpace, and yeah. you get like fifteen shows. And and now it's like I'm like, oh god, if I had to book a tour, like what the hell would I do? <laughs> I thought MySpace was better for bands. Like I, oddly enough, it, look back at it and I felt Facebook sucks. Like now with a podcast running like a fan page, which is not all that much work. Your post, the way Facebook works, if you have like a fan page. Your posts don't reach all of your followers. You have to pay them money. So you're only getting, at the most, like 20, 30 views per page. And the, I don't know. MySpace was just set up differently where it was better to listen to music, to connect uh, yeah. to people. It was just different. MySpace was great because if you wanted to know about a band, like you heard someone mention some band's name, and you go MySpace.com slash put yep. in the band name, and you got a picture of the band, you got like five songs, their you, got their, you got their tour dates, you got their top eight, <laughs> who are they friends with, you got a little bio. You know, it was just like everything you could possibly want to know to yeah. get a snapshot of a band in one shot. And then, yeah, if you're posting on the, I, I think they were called bulletins, right? Or like whatever that little like Maybe. thing is where it's like. I can't not be. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like your MySpace feed now, but it was like the separate yeah. little thing off to the side. And you could like respond to people directly. Yeah. It wasn't public though. Yeah. It wasn't a comment you would write to that one person. Yeah. And it was just like. It was just different. But it was just, you put it in and it went into the stream and people saw it or they didn't. But there was no, like my Facebook now has a brilliant racket where you're. If, as, so I deal with this with Compassion Company for the business mm-hmm. side. Yeah, that's which the last is, thing we need to get to. I yeah. can't believe I've waited to the end. <laughs> um, so it's like you're you're paying for advertisement 
and which the end result of the advertisement on Facebook is generally to get a like, and yeah. then you want to make posts, so you pay to promote your posts. Um, but it's this weird trap where you also want to be creating, or at least spreading content that's interesting. So like the compassion company, uh, Tumblr is like me reblogging a lot of like information mm. about I like various your issues. A lot, by the way. And, Awesome. I just started following. I found it when I did like an email search. It showed up. Nice. It's really cool. Yeah. So, you know, that's a lot of like food and a lot of, oh, here's how this campaign's going, all that stuff. And then sprinkled in is, oh, here's this new shirt we're putting out or here's someone yeah. wearing a shirt or whatever. Here's a sale. Um, but on Facebook, so on, on Tumblr or Twitter or uh, I don't really use Twitter that much. kind of hate it. But um, yeah. uh, Instagram, you know, so it's like people get that, oh, you are this entity that eats this food and travels to these places and raises money for this thing uh and you also have these shirts facebook you're not going to pay to promote oh i found this cool recipe so five people are going to see that and then you're going to pay to promote your sale um but then most people are only going to ever have your presence be you promoting yourself to them and that's not appealing like i used to follow certain brands but they would post like 10 times a day about Oh, Dea has this new recipe, and you can buy our stuff in this store. And it's like I don't give a shit about that. No, like, I don't. I so don't yeah, think, I think it's they're going to see another shift in marketing, and Facebook is kind of I think they're losing whatever they once had. Yeah, um, Compassion Company. That yeah. is, a co- you own that company as well. Or yes, run yeah. that. And man, you have the business sense. <laughs> uh, you guys have cool shirts for like a non-vegan vegetarian, just like. The art in it, like the shirt you're wearing right now, yeah. it's a, like a gorilla and it says plant eater. Yes. It's fucking awesome. It just looks cool. Yeah. So do you take a little bit of that from like the band world of like, man, never underestimate the sale of a good t-shirt? So yeah, I mean, all the all the infrastructure for a compassion company is stuff that, uh, or well, at least in terms of creating designs and getting them produced, uh, was all set in motion from the tsunamis days. Um, like I said, all of our the screen printing is done by my friend Jared and his partner Lex, and uh, they run Leave Your Mark Screen Printing. They're in Florida, but there's someone oh, that wow. we met on tour, and mm-hmm. you know he was like, "How much are you paying for you know?" And he was like, "You know, going to shows. He was in some bands back then, and uh, he's like, "How much are you paying for shirts?" And we're like, "This much." He's like, oh, "I can do it for you know." 50 cents, 50 cents cheaper or whatever. And it was just like, all right, you now print everything for us. And he's awesome because we used to do like wacky shirt color combos. And mm. like, oh, can we get like an orange shirt with like puffy, gl- glittery orange anchor, or, like gold anchor or something? Like, yeah, I can do that. We tried to have him screen print like kickballs at one point. And like, <laughs> so we did this tour where we, um, where we like sort of posted on Facebook or MySpace beforehand. It was like, hey, if your band wants to challenge us in kickball, we're bringing a kickball and the bases. And only like two people ever took us up on it. But, um, you know, it's just like stuff like that. So, So he does all the screen printing. He does an amazing job. He's like, gotten better and better at his craft like we use we use water-based inks which are not the easiest to work with because they kind of dry up on the screen real quick yeah but they feel really good on the shirt so he's like great at that and then all the artwork is uh, done by my friend mike c and he does like once you sort of see his visual style you'll see it in a lot of shirts yeah. because he designs like everything for everybody in the band world like especially kind of that like alternative press victory records yeah. tour kind of scene um, so that's why like a lot of the visual style is kind of like, you know, I, I started cause I was like, I want shirts that I would want to wear that look like a band shirt or and something. Cruelty free, I would assume. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the whole, the whole, I mean, your average t-shirt itself is technically going to be vegan. Um, cause it's going to be like cotton and synthetic dyes mm. and nothing like, you, know, you have to really, it's not like dyed in meat juice or something, but, um, 
uh, you know, the whole idea is to extend, like the vegan part comes in with the design and the message, yeah, okay. um, but also extend that vegan ethic of trying to be as cruelty free as possible throughout the entire chain of production. So uh, all the shirts we use are made in the USA um, and they're sweatshop free. And we use this brand Royal Apparel right now, who's like awesome. They fit and feel like American Apparel, but without all the the sticky yeah. ethical <laughs> stuff that comes along with them. And um, even the material of your shirt from here, like, I got this like on Groupon. It's like a Breaking Bad shirt. Your shirt looks like an American Apparel shirt. Like, look, it looks very soft and comfortable. Yeah, I honestly, I I rarely wear shirts that are not the brand that I print on now, just because they're yeah. so comfy. And I yeah. have had a lot of people tell me like, "Oh, this is the most comfortable shirt ever." And the yeah, the printing process we use is the kind where like you can't feel the ink on the shirt. Yeah. Like I'm looking at yours, yeah, and I'm like, "All right, ink. it's plastisol. I can see it's cracking." It's already yeah, and I'm kind of mad. And yeah, I actually came. <laughs> from like a job interview so i like changed into like sh- not nice clothes i thought it'd be weird to show up here in like a dress shirt yeah <laughs> hey let's talk about i mean we can dress words. up for it if you yeah. want <laughs> I, was like, um, I don't like wearing those clothes unless i have to <laughs> yeah um, but, uh, yeah i'm definitely oh. have to get some of your shirts because I, like, I, like, I was like whenever i do interviews i like, try to like look into stuff i was like oh man you fucking do everything yeah and that's and but like where does like the so you had to learn like pay taxes, all these like just little stupid things of being. I'm still learning how or... to pay taxes. It's like... Yeah, I had to... it's a fucking <laughs> that 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 was the thing. Like everything else, I was just like, oh, I got this, no problem. I just, you know, obviously with the tsunamis, we were just using like shitty like Gildan shirts, which um, I still like had a little stash of them that I kind of put up for sale like every now and then. Uh, now we're like totally out, but like filling the orders, I'm just like, I like despise those shirts because I'm like, yeah. they're not comfortable, they're thick, they cost more to ship because they're so much heavier. Oh, God, yeah. um, and I'm just like, ugh. And we're going to we're gonna make a couple new shirts for when the album comes out. Um, yeah. And I'm just like so excited to be able to provide people with like great quality shirts. Yeah. And, you know, and unfortunately it means, you know, okay, we're going to have to maybe charge 12 or 15 for the shirt because it's a lot like. Of money for a shirt. Yeah, you know, it's just unfortunate because we we come from this scene where if you're selling a shirt for more than $10, you're going to get run out of town in the punk scene. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I understand that, you know, if it ain't cheap, it ain't punk, that whole mentality. But if the expense of that is human slavery and like all these horrible yeah. things that come along with your normal textile industry, it's like, well, that's that's not punk to me to be supporting, you know, human rights violations. So. It's funny how some of those things we learned in the punk rock world have kind of backfired in our later years. And it's of no one's fault, like, you're right, if it ain't cheap, it ain't punk. But then sometimes it turns out uh, it's cheap for a reason. Yeah. And it's because of people are killing themselves in sweatshops in China. And then, and you know what's funny, too? I, I, when I lived in, went to school in Vermont, I always found that uh, there's, like, a level of conservatism that it's so far to the right, like, you're to the left. And, like, what you're doing, maybe... Not a lot of people who are conservative might not be totally on board for the vegan aspect of it, but made in America. Yeah. You're keeping your tax dollars. You're keep. I mean, you were literally thinking about, it's almost like I remember being a kid and hearing like people like shouldn't buy anything out of this country and thinking that was like the wrong view. I was like, yeah. well, that's a great view. Like we should keep like, my grandfather was a farmer, like yeah. uh, dairy and like plants and stuff. So it was like when you bought a tomato from him, I was like, well, then I'm eating because he was able to have kids who had meat, blah, blah, blah. But like, and you're doing that now with like your shirt company. Like you really think all the way down the line, and you know the people who personally press them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's basically you know I'm trying to keep it in in the family, so to speak, as much as possible. Obviously, I don't know the people that are like putting together their shirts, and there's yeah. some some level of trust that the company is being transparent with me as in, as far as their yeah. labor conditions go and stuff like that. 
Um, and, and as far as like the USA made thing goes, um, I kind of struggle with it sometimes because I don't know if there's anything in, inherently more ethical about putting money back into your own community because it's like, okay, well, so the farming aspect, it's like, all right, if I buy from whoever, apples from the guy at Bishop's, you know, a yeah. couple, couple towns over, uh, and that's going to help him put his daughter through college, cool. Is that better than buying an apple from somewhere like in like um, I don't know where else apples are grown South I, America I some other thing but you know some farmer producing something yeah. somewhere else and that food that money is going to keep his daughter alive so it's like yeah. you know but, but for me it's more about the labor conditions um, not that yeah. USA made is always going to mean no. uh, good stuff but that combined with the sweatshop free to me seems like it's the best way to go to make sure that there are the highest labor standards that I can get for the shirts. But it would also be very, and I agree with what you said, but it is also a lot harder to buy an apple directly from a farmer in a different country because yeah. there's always a middleman. So yeah. I, I 100% agree with what you said about the ethical thing. It's just, it doesn't exist sadly that way. Yeah. I Even mean, like, uh, I think, uh, no, it does. I think there's, I, I went to this uh, great place in Boston called Taza chocolate factory and, and so they were, they kind of taught me about the bullshitness of fair trade. Uh-huh. And what they did is direct trade where they made the farmers and wherever the cocoa bean was grown, part owners of the company and they owned the farm. And it was like almost like a leasing thing. And they were a part of the, I was like, I think they called it direct trade. If you ever get a chance, it's a really great place. Yeah. But it was, no, I'd love to look into that. That's, yeah, um, that's trade. I have a friend, uh, my friend, Brandon Fisher, who's been on a couple of times. And one thing he's, I don't know how, but is obsessed with like trade. Yeah, that's that's something that I'm actually right now kind of working on, um, trying to educate myself more on. Yeah, uh, more on. He's more, a Green Party <laughs> member. If you um, ever want to <laughs> talk to him, he's someone who will like will teach you everything about the Green. Yeah, and I feel yeah, it's great. Is it, um, so how much do your shirts go for? So if I'm selling that at like a, at a veg fest or like, or like online, first off, well, like, so online they're twenty six. That includes yeah. the shipping. If I'm selling them at a veg fest, it's just twenty dollars. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I remember when I first started, I was like, okay, I can still do sweatshop free and all this stuff. And everything we also do is organic because it's better for the workers picking the cotton, yeah. it's better for the earth, all that good stuff. Um, and I was like, I can do all those things and sell the shirt for 15 But then I was like, oh, taxes and legitimate <sighs> business expenses. And yeah. so it kind of went up to 20 It was like went to 18 then went to $20. Um, yeah, so that's that's currently like where it's at. It's nice to see someone like you because no, you know, if I see you at a veg fest, you're not trying to rip someone off and make a few bucks. You're like, I, I, I I've got to cover my expenses. Yeah, so no one, knows, they all know that you're not trying to rip somebody off. Yeah, hope, it, hopefully. I mean, the yeah. for the most part, people rarely comment on the price when they're like, oh, how much is? It? I was twenty. They're like, okay, cool. Every now and then, someone's like, "Oh, that's a great price for a shirt that's organic and all this stuff." Yeah, I've been had people be like, "I'd pay forty dollars," and I was like, "You know, oh wow, I, well, you know, I I'm never gonna." Yeah, I was like, "If you want to pay me forty, that's cool." Yeah. Um, you know, and so I suspect anyone that's turned off by the price because I have a sign that says it. So I, I assume they yeah. probably are turned off and then just don't say anything to me about it. Every now and then, I get someone that's like, "Why is your shirt?" You know, I had I had uh, one woman at this conference who ran like a cat rescue, and oh. she comes up to me and she was like, "Oh, why is your shirt twenty? My shirt's fifteen, and my shirt has like a six color print on the front and one or two color on the back." And and I was like, "Well, let me see the brand." And it was like Gildan, and I was like, "Well, they're not really the most reliable for <laughs> human rights and and labor conditions and all that." And 
and she was like, well, if I sell it for cheaper, I'll sell more and help more cats. I don't really care about like the kids. And I was like, <laughs> you don't have to sacrifice one for the other. Yeah. You know, like we could call it, <laughs> you know, and that, and that's just like, you know, there, there's, I think that's the most well, an important thing when I'm educating people about like vegan stuff. Cause you get that like, well, shouldn't you care about this? And it's like, yeah. you, I presume you're taking an hour out of your day or more to eat some food. So it's like, you've already blocked off that time for consuming food. So why not use that hour to help animals instead of hurting yeah, animals? That's true. You know? And so it's like, all right, maybe there's a slight trade off and charging a little more for a t-shirt, but it's like, isn't that worth it? Yeah. I really wanted to stray away from those stupid questions for you today too. Yeah. Like that was like, my goal is like, I, I actually wrote out all the atypical questions you'd probably get, get asked. I was like, <laughs> cause I don't even want to, that's the thing I love about podcasting where it's just not, it's not 60 minutes or like, um, it's just not like that. It's yeah. like, I love the, and you're also a fellow comedy and fod- podcast fan, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, and did you ever think in your life you'd become such a jet setter? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I for, as soon as I like learned that touring was a thing, I wanted to do it. And um, you know, for a while with the tsunamis, I my my goal it didn't necessarily gel with everybody else in the band was to just be touring so much that I didn't have to be paying rent on somewhere yeah. to live. And you know, kind of. Half the band was on board with that, and half the band wasn't. So I never really quite achieved that. Mm-hmm. But it was just always like, you know, we we got to a point where everybody was graduating from high school or dropping or uh, college rather, or dropping out of their school, and we were just like, let's do it. And so it was like, all right, I just booked two months, let's go. And while we're going, I'm gonna book the next tour. So as soon as this one ends, we can like keep yeah. going. Um, and that always appealed to me. It was always a lot of fun. Now I'm at a point where I kind of like having that home life, but yeah. I still love touring. I think if I didn't have the company, I would probably spend even more time on the road. Yeah. Um. So like the last tour that I did with the 10 million lives tour was seven months straight. And yeah. um, my amazing dad, very supportive. He, um, he was filling all the mail orders for me while I was oh, gone, oh you know? God. So I'm like, I'm on the road answering the emails and ordering shirts. And, and then wow. he's there logging into the PayPal and That's shipping really them out. Great. And, you know, so again, to demonstrate how supportive yeah. uh, they, my parents are of me, um, that's really sweet. Yeah. That's so cool. And so that's seven months. Um, I'll, what's your, if do you give out your Instagram publicly to follow? I don't know. Some people do, some don't. But it's really fun to watch, follow you on Instagram because you're always somewhere doing something cool. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if uh, there's a couple Instagrams, if, if people are wanting to follow the 10 Billion Lives tour specifically, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's just at 10 Billion Tour, and that's, you know, one zero and then billion spelled out tour. Okay. That's that one. If people want to see like the, most of the food that I post, and I know some people rail against food pictures, but I don't know uh, why. <laughs> uh, when like if if you want to see like fun pictures from restaurants all over the country, yeah, um, as well as like a couple other, you know, the shirts and all that. Of course, yeah. uh, it's just at Compassion Co. Yeah, people should follow. Those. Um, I'll and, put everything in the beginning too for you. Yeah, and I got you know if people want to follow me personally, it's uh, at Expanded Circle. Um, and that's kind of, I don't really post the food so much on there. That's honestly yeah. usually just things that I find funny. Yeah, yeah. Like it's, I don't know how many people find that interesting. I think some people follow me because they know me from, you know, Somewhere. the outreach or whatever. And then they, they're like, oh, it's just pictures of dogs and like 
like Comic Sans font or unnecessary quotes at like a restroom or something. You know, it's yeah. just like stuff like that. If people are interested in that, follow me on that. <laughs> uh, did we miss anything? I I think. I, mean, I feel like I could talk to you for like nine hours. Yeah. But, um, um, I think anything else? I don't know. I think that's good. You feel good? I, I I feel good. Yeah, I feel like any of those topics could be expanded on for, yeah. for more time. But oh, awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. 